do you want to start? Do you want to start with the talking about the lost adventure first, or do you want to save that for last? Uh, or, or do you not it? want to talk about it? Do you just want to do one eleven through one eighteen? Did you read it? Yeah, yeah, I did read it. Did you like it? No, Cause, no. Because I swear to God, I read the lost adventure and was pretty much like, huh, this, this like, and I read it when it came out as well. Yes, but um, like. This is a thing that exists and adds absolutely nothing to the the creative discussion of Fantastic Four. Yeah, you know, well in that case maybe maybe we should just skip but, like, it or minimize do, it. Do you do you think it's worth like going into detail about? N- not like, the, the interesting thing for me is Right. Uh Ron Friends does a very good Kirby imitation. Yes, he does. He does. Uh the the stuff that I'm interested in is uh I guess, I mean, I think you might have mentioned, because I think this was something we talked about that didn't happen. It was, I think at one point you had the the Kirby collector issue that had the original pencils, and you were like, yeah, I'll send that along. So oh, you no, it's, it's not got the original pencils. Hang on. It's got uh, someone tracked the original pencils. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me look it up as we are talking. Uh, uh, well... I've got to find which damn issue the Kirby collector is in. I'm going to make this. Uh, I'm going to pretend that we're having the official on-air discussion. Then um, sure, let, just talk about it, and the, this can be a cold open, and then I'll just yeah. Uh, no, that's <laughs> what we'll do. We'll do this as the cold open. Yes, and then we. Where the hell is this, J- Jeff? Just talk talk amongst yourself while I try and find this. Okay, Graham. So, uh, uh, whatnots for those of you coming in late, uh, Graham and I are talking about FF, the lost adventure, which, uh, uh, our, our buddy Jason suggested we might want to look at. It was published in 2008. It was a recreation of the quote unquote lost issue of Lee and Kirby's fantastic four. As you know, from our little read through, uh, it, we talked about it last time because it more or less got hacked into bits and reassembled by uh, as Fantastic Four 108 by Stan Lee uh, with uh, help from Basima and Sinnott. My understanding is from what Graham had told me that this was an issue was supposed to be FF 102 and Kirby had drawn it and then it had been rejected. So that, that's also my understanding. Okay, I, I not, I'm not recanting that. I believe that is still the case. Okay, so uh, so this was supposed to be 102. As you heard us talk about at length, the way in which it was chopped up and became part of a three part story, introducing Janice, the the Nega Man, and led to uh, Reed's return to the negative zone and a lot of stuff that. Um, you know, was sort of the FF is the FF cover band. It's interesting seeing what is supposed to be the reconstructed lost issue. Uh, well, it's it's it isn't it isn't supposed to be the reconstructed exactly. Lost issue. It's yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. Because it's we are now making a different story that isn't what Kirby intended. Exactly. The artwork we have. And some extra artwork from Ron Friends and exactly. Joe Sinnott right. doing the Kirby cover band again. It's yeah. the, it's it's super weird. Like I don't see the creative uh, reason for it to exist, right. but I see the commercial reason for it to exist. Yes, the commercial reason. Right. It's so it's and I think that's the thing that is very interesting and sad about it is is that as perhaps we should not be a uh, particularly surprised coming from Marvel and Stan Lee, 
there's something a bit uh, ersatz about it. You know, it, it's it's a little bit of a flimflam job. They they make it seem like there's uh, that this is the issue, but it's very clear as you look at it that it's not. And the reason why I sort of wanted to talk about it, at least super briefly, is the way in which uh, for something a I think it's really amusing that 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 essentially there's so, this much effort was put into sort of recreating a Kirby done in one from that time of the Fantastic Four, which I don't think is necessarily, which is very much where I think Kirby's head was at. And knowing that Lee sort of hacked it up to make it the, the middle piece of his, you know, super mega nega epic, you know, and yet the thing that is funny to me is, is that for me, FF The Lost Adventure feels perhaps unsurprisingly much more like Stan Lee than Jack Kirby. That that Kirby's the piece that, that they chopped up the first time in FF 108 feels to me more identifiably Kirby. Uh, and the thing that's really funny about that is, is that when you see the, for me, when you see the splash page of the Menace of the Mega Men, where you've got uh, Sue Richards staring at that uh, sculpture of Janice, the Two-Faced God, to me, I'm like, oh, okay, that that figure plays into Kirby's personal iconography, I feel, a lot. You know, like, uh, I'm very familiar with, he goes on to create Gemini, the two-headed sorcerer for Thundar the Barbarian, you know, years later for Ruby Spears. And when you look at that design, it's exactly the same concept. There's the benevolent head in front and then the fearsome bestial head in back. So at first I was like, oh, okay, this is going to come up to be closer to what Kirby had intended. But as you read through the lost adventure, it has that um, certain bouquet of diminishing expectations that I really associate with a Stan Lee story because it starts off with Reed, Sue, this scientist and Sue saying like, yes, he's the man who almost destroyed the world. And, and of course that very sort of clever Stanley in joke where, where that scientist is like, I don't go in for comic book phraseology and Reed's like, no, let me show you. We're going to pull up the nega hubi skamini watsi because you actually disputed what my wife believes. Uh, and by the end of the story, you realize that there really was no threat to the rest of the world, that, that all this stuff with Janice like running around and flapping his gums about how he's unstoppable, you really only you see even less of that than you do in the larger multi-piece story where he really does literally almost destroy the world by leading a nihilist to Earth, if, if in no other way than that. Here he's just a dude and... <laughs> One of the things that I find really also very interesting is is that everything all of the all of the stuff Kirby's very into the bestial side of a mild mannered guy, you know, and so the first story where it turns out that that's really the case where the mystery is how can Janice be in two places at once is you realize that you know. He seems he seems like he's two men, but then it later turns out that he is he has split himself and become two people. That that that's his shadow self. And once again, you get the oh, here's a colleague of Reed's who turned himself into 
you know, uh, uh, an evil, you know, not just an evil shadow of Reed, but he's like someone who has his own evil shadow. Like, again, it just feels very layered with the Kirby stuff in a way that seems, um, you know, seems, seems very natural to an extension of his obsessions in this lost adventure, which sort of purports to be the, the lost cut from, from the, you know, Lee and Kirby, it very much gets shaped by Lee after the fact, such that it is anticlimactic as all shit. Like, it's like, oh yeah, no, he's just, that's my brother. He calls me a brother. He's my brother. And you know, he, (laughs) it's, and it's this weird thing where he's very much like at the end, he calls me my brother. He's my brother. Yeah. That's how it turns out. Like the shock surprise is it's exactly what you thought it would be. Ta-da. Like the Stanley fake out. Like even at the end where he's like, so you see, it was two men, you know, it's very Sherlock Holmesian. Oh, so it was two men pretending to be one man? Amazing. I'm like, yeah, except at no point do they pretend to be two men at any point. There's no point at which Janice is like, yeah, I'm that dude. And the other guy's like, yeah, that's me. Like, no, they just look like each other. Reed's like, I think that's him. Goes to him. He's like, uh, you should probably chill out, man. You know, it's not really cool for you to hang out around here. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, yeah. So uh, you kind of pretended to be that guy. Not really, but let's go with it. Okay. You know, it's very Stan, like, um, okay. It's all neatly wrapped up. And there's just like the the, the plot hole. It, it's like a hernia of plot holes. Just kind of pushing through and hanging out, dangling there in, 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 a, in a very gross kind of way. So, but I did love, there is one part where there's a point where Reed Richards actually says, like, if he could send a power blast over a DSL line, because he actually, you know, they're talking to Janice and then suddenly they're like TV, the busy phone explodes. And I love that it gets updated for 2008. So he's like, oh yeah, if he could send a power blast over a DSL line, and, you know, it's that classic, like, Stan trying to up the stakes. Johnny Storm's like, oh, God, maybe for once we've bitten off more than we can chew. I'm like, <laughs> if Galactus had only known that the way to freak out the FF was just fuck with their Internet, you know, they'd be like, we're hopeless. There's no way. I've been exactly. trying to get onto Google. Can you remember like the password? Minutes. I can't remember the password. <laughs> I have it's no idea. the end of the fantastic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Curse you over mind. There's no way we can check our email. Like, just really amazingly. Um, so, yeah. So Okay, so that's actually my my biggest problem with it on a creative level. Like, I think it's an incredibly cynical project. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I think the project literally exists to take advantage of nostalgia. Yeah, by going, it's Stan and Jack. It's a story you never read, except it's not. And also, to be completely blunt, the Stanley that scripted this in two thousand eight mm-hmm. is not the Stanley who was writing in nineteen seventy. Yeah, he is. You can tell from the script, like it's much more jokey. Yeah, like, oh, so Stan much has more lost jokey. his ability to be. Uh, even camply dramatic. Yeah, completely. He's just he's just lapsed into shtick all the way through. Yeah, the only uh, time where it doesn't seem shticky is when they literally reprint those pages. You yes. know the original pages from FF one hundred and eight, and the only change is they change it from Nega Man to Mega Man, which they don't even do consistently. They actually miss it once, which is completely confusing. So it's but. You know, Stan, Stan's scripting is terrible, and that really yeah. is is my my problem with it. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, because, like, on a creative level, mm-hmm. Stan shouldn't have scripted <laughs> Like, you could have had countless people scripted in a better Stan Lee impression. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I think it is kind of interesting having seen Stanley do some other projects around this time. You know, the what if Stanley had created the DC universe, which is. But also, he he did a bunch of uh, Marvel one shots. That's right. Or whoever is his eightieth birthday. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, That are all on all. I'll try again. All on unlimited and actually super enjoyable. But again, they're all comedies. Right. They're they're enjoyable, but they're sort of campy. He also did a Spider-Man story, like, I think it's Spider- Spider-Man versus the Scorpion, like an annual or something. And this is this is back in, like, the 90s, like the mid-90s. I want to say it's maybe late 80s. It's very much like... I think I remember this. Do you remember? And it, maybe I, I, it's late 80s. It's, is, is, is it about J. Jonah Jameson's wife? I can't remember. It might be. Yeah, I I really, I have this weirdly strong memory and I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, well, in part because it's actually pretty good. Unlike the the Stan Lee of the Spider-Man newspaper strip, one of the things that I thought was, that happens in this annual is he changes, like Spider-Man's voice is more kind of rueful and sardonic. Like it's, it's he's humorous, but he's also he like given the space space of more than four panels where he has to introduce the villain in the you know rehash the 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 dramatic ending from the previous day and then get to the the new dramatic ending um given an actual page count, he kind of gives spidey of a, a voice that kind of sounds much closer to being an adult to being a grown-up and it was and it's a surprisingly confident voice and i remember reading that way back when and not again after the the love affair with stan had had more or less fallen far far from by my wayside and and being like oh this guy could kind of have something you know and one of the things that is very disappointing about ff the lost adventure is you know, he can breeze pretty easily through the page-by-page transitions and what have you. But he just, like you said, he doesn't have any sort of, um, he doesn't have any patience for the hyperbole or in the melodrama. And he also has no real desire to bring anything else to it. So it's yeah. it's just kind of a campy, pat-like, you know, it, it sort of reminds you of like when ex-celebrities are paid to show up at a sporting event and, you know, they kind of stage some sort of, like, really hokey shadow of their former days kind of event. And you're just like, oh, it's not it's not great. So, yeah, FF The Lost Adventure, The Menace of the Mega Men, I really wanted to bring up because I was like, yeah, it's cynical. It's not good. But it is that weird thing of, like, if you take out Stan Lee, like, like what's the point of it? Like, Stan is propping well, the whole just thing it, like, up. But you really? Know? What's the point of all of it? Is the, is yeah, the thing right? It's it's a it's a, at best um, uh, a wasted opportunity. But honestly, I'm not sure what the opportunity really was. No, because because there are parts like looking back on it. There's a there's a few things where it's um you know the, there's a scene in both versions where uh, the Mega Man or Mega Man freezes the pogo plane in midair and it 
falls to the ground and Ben sticks his feet out of the plane like Fred Flintstone and and basically does a crash landing where he just stops it, you know? And that's that is A, that's all Kirby. It's in both versions and it's it's still pretty terrible. It's a surprising it's interesting because it's such even by Kirby physics, it's kind of ridiculous and unbelievable in a well, way that's distracting. Let's close let's close this down, Jeff, with yes. this bit from the, the Kirby Collector, which I found by the way, if anyone's looking for it, it's in Kirby Collector issue forty five uh, fifty four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um they talk to everyone who's involved in the book mm-hmm. as part of this. And they're talking to Joe Sinnett. And they say, uh, what about Jack in this particular issue? And he goes, Jack seemed like he was disgusted with that book. Mm, um, wow. says, I know that he felt he wasn't appreciated at the time. And Sinnott says, you can see it in his work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son then says, it wasn't Kirby. He just rushed through it. He couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's true. I think yeah. by the time that like you get, even to like issue 100, yeah. Kirby Kirby is, has lost lost interest. But I can only imagine that having this issue rejected yeah. uh, was really was probably the breaking point. The point where he was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to DC. Yeah. Why yeah. would I stick around here? Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, on the one hand, I, I think that them rejecting it was not the worst thing they could have done. Well, because the worst thing they could have done was sort of the way they treated Jack. But, I mean, well, as a follow-up... It's not the worst thing you could have done. Yeah. Apart from it lost them Kirby. But in yeah. terms of, like, the quality of it, it's not a great comic. Well, see, that's it. They had already lost Kirby. I mean, one of the things that is really sad is is that Kirby had been departing long before that issue comes, you know. So... It just sort of makes sense that it happens, but as a as a straw that breaks the camel's back, I mean, because it's rare that you know that that management goes like, "Hey, this is truly terrible work." We realize that that means that we've done wrong by you, and let's make it better. You know, most yeah. of the time they're like, "This is really horrible work. You've got to you've got to you've got to pick <laughs> up the pace." You know, which is probably what happened. Do yeah. it again. Do it again, and but the better. deadlines close. Yeah, exactly. You got to do it in half the time, and it's got to be twice as good. Come on, I Jack. We know I you can do this. You wasted all the time drawing an entire issue, Jack. Right, exactly. Draw another issue overnight, <laughs> and make it good this time. Really, exactly. Not like the last one. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of weird. Like you can also see that he went from this, where he did create a new character. Yeah. Uh, to fuck it, I'm going to do Magneto. Well, <laughs> again, there was that weird thing where I felt like, yeah, either he's totally, um, you know, they reject that issue and maybe Stan's like, look, okay, I got to tell you what we need to do and dictated the circumstances of the plot. Because even though, even though issue 102 is terrible, it's terrible in a very sort of atypical, there's so many it's, atypical it's Kirby yeah, moves. It's terrible in a way that it's very not the previous 101 issues yeah exactly and so really made me feel like okay this is this this is this is kirby being like the the, world yeah the situation being moved into the realm of the uh, uh, unbelievably untenable for him where stanley is just dictating the plot at length over the phone or something you know and it's just like anyway uh that's that's this is definitely the longest uh pre- titles thing that we'll ever do yes oh wow we're, uh, we're gonna do this pretend okay 
The, yes, definitely. Uh, so, roll the music. Hello, Whatnots. Uh, welcome to Back to Building episode 14, in which uh, myself, Gray McMillan, and my learned co-host... Jeff Lester, Malernid. Yeah, Mel- M apostrophe Lernid. Yeah. Uh, we will be discussing Fantastic Four's issues one 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 through one eighteen. That's right. Uh, we we have said goodbye to Jack Kirby. Although, as you've just listened to what we've just talked about, we kind of said hello to him again. Again, but we're definitely done with him now. He's, yeah, he's gone. He's history. He's off doing the Fourth World in in DC right now, uh, and we are heavily into the new world order that is uh, John Buscema and for a while Stan Lee mm-hmm. uh, but Stan Lee's going to drop out very quickly mm-hmm. um, we also uh, unusually left the last issue on a bit of a cliffhanger that's right because uh, not for the first time <laughs> Ben Grimm has turned evil and has left the Fantastic Four <laughs> what are the odds? Apparently, surprisingly good, seeing the second time it's happened. Yes, uh, in, in 111 issues. Uh, but FF11, because we're just going to roll straight into it. Yeah, it's called the thing. A mock. <laughs> and it starts with uh, three speech balloons coming from the Baxter Building, so you can't even see who said them. Yeah. Although the first one is a giveaway, but the next two. Who can tell? Uh, speech balloon number one. My experiment on the thing backfired. Even though he can now change his form at will. Speech balloon number two. He's out of control. He's losing his conscience. Ben Grimm is turning bad. <laughs> number three. He's loose in the streets now and capable of anything. What it doesn't say in this is that um, in the previous issue, unbeknownst to everyone, including the reader, the remaining members of the FF had been inhaling exposition gas <laughs> see they had to give the, the basic premise of the story uh in as short a time as possible i i'm very impressed with you graham because once again uh even though you uh sound as if you're not being generous at all you're still being far too generous compared to me because i was convinced since this is a stan lee issue that is reed richards doing all of that talking and you can tell because it it's completely sanctimonious, and it just goes on and on and on. Like, the, sanctimonious, but is... also melodramatic. Yeah, completely. The streets now and capable of anything, and to prove that, by the way, so the Baxter building is in the background of the, the splash, yeah. and in the foreground is Ben Grimm literally pushing a car out the way because he's in a bad mood as he crosses the road, saying, yeah. move it, when the thing wants to cross, traffic better stop. Nobody's yeah. ever pushing me around no more. Not nobody. I do love the the tangle of double negatives in there. Um, that's just get get better at it. Stan mm-hmm. or Ben? Not <laughs> you mean somebody? Is that what you mean? I See, don't think, so, Mister Grimm. 
I, I'm I'm a big fan of, although I doubt that Stan would say that this was what he was shooting for, that kind of um, the tortured Miltonian syntax, you know, that, that Milton gives Satan in Paradise Lost is, is very I much... I promise you that's not what Stan was going well, I know, right? That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm saying, whether accidentally or not, it works. Uh, also, what I thought was kind of interesting is seeing the uh, next sequence of about three pages or so, which is something that we have in a way normally seen um, time and again, which is a little bit of people give the thing grief and he uses his incredible power to kind of show that he has. He teaches them a lesson in a, a visually spectacular yet Ironic's not the right word. Alanis Morissette's definition of ironic <laughs> sense. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so for example, in, the, in these uh, three pages, or, or two pages, it's pages two and three, uh, construction workers literally uh, give them a hard time after the thing walks into them. Yeah. And so he takes a girder, he wraps two of them up in the girder, then he uses a crane uh, as a catapult mm-hmm. and throws them into the river. Yeah. But then he does get dish them back out as well. Yeah, and you know, it's... Okay, so there's a couple of things going on here, but especially the fact that you have a sequence that is an attempt to... <clears throat> um, again, this is one of the things I, I find fascinating about this this sort of run of issues, is you've got Basima on the art all the way through in the sequence that we're talking about. And what I find about Basima that is fascinating is... He and Sinnott uh, are working so hard to sort of recapture the feel of Kirby's Fantastic Four. Like you're supposed to be like, oh, okay, I'm reading the Fantastic Four. This is the this is the comic that I, you know, have been reading forever, and it's still the same. That there's not much of an there there isn't the awareness that what you have is should be really could be an incredibly dark twist on that opening sequence. I was. In rereading it, the idea that he wraps metal around these guys, puts them on a crane, and catapults them into the New York Harbor, like, their arms are bound and they're wrapped in metal. Yeah, like, they should be dead. They should be dead. There is no reason for him to 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 pull them out of the water, you know. Well, no, a... but there is. The reason for him to do that is to show that he hasn't killed them. Well, yes, Exactly. Exactly, but the but that actually undercuts the point of what we're seeing. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of and, and that in itself is also undercut by what happens next, which is the thing then takes the scoop that he used to pull them out the river, yeah. crushes it into a ball, and then as if bowling, throws the ball after other construction workers and knocks them down. Yeah, um, yeah. and so it's this very strange because Stan tries to massage it in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, basically, he's, it's a game for the for this immoral thing. Yes, um, but it's it's a very odd uh, sequence, mm-hmm. um, and on one level, works as a he's still the thing because he's doing this, but he's a he's a corrupt thing, mm-hmm. and also works as a well. This this is why the police are now going to get involved. Right. Like he's gone from being a dick to Reed Richards to actually being trouble. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually being trouble. And I understand the sequence for it and the escalation of those stakes. And yet at the same time, I think 
sometimes I think it would have been better or more uh, judicial. It would have been more satisfying to actually have Johnny rescue uh, those guys out of the drink and, and yeah. have Ben even make some noises like maybe he was going to save them. Maybe he wasn't, you know, so you yeah. could have a yeah. little bit of that ambiguity, but play it as a very dark twist on what has been kind of a Kirby trope up to this point, you know? So, uh, there's some other stuff. Also, I just, I have to say, uh, quickly, I love the sort of quad. I just like Basima does, He's a really interesting artist in these sets of issues. And one thing I do want to point out, at least here, is some of his uh, character work is just great. I really do yes. love the angry I, I... construction worker yelling at Ben in like panel four of page two, who looks just as bestial and frightening as the thing does, and yet is somehow human. Or yeah. this the strange foreground Robert Crumb-esque a figure on the splash page that's sort of staring in awe as the thing crosses the street. Yeah, Basama's art is great in this. I also like the uh, the construction workers who are about to run away in the final panel of page three. And I really, really, talking about character acting, mm-hmm. love the smug Ben on page, the third panel of page six. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful moment mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. not only the 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 line work which is wonderful it's it's such a good acting moment but mm-hmm. the color as well yes is a really nice moment of like oh ben's a bad guy now right right absolutely absolutely so um so yeah and, and basima's all through this run i think basima actually comes up with some really nice work it's again suffering because it's not kirby it's not kirby and and i think the other thing that's that is problematic is i don't know if stan is being more hands-on with the pacing but or with the plotting you know it's like giving super detailed plots to basima but generally the almost all of the pages are overstuffed there's a lot of moments here, not, not so much in these two issues, but, but when we get into the Overmind stuff, especially by the time we get to the conclusion of the Overmind saga, I'm like, when I read it, like literally for the second or third time, I was like, this really could have been like the great FF epic if it had been paced better. But yeah. e- even in this issue, you see like for um, for a book that under Kirby moved towards say a lot of full page splashes um four panel pages for the action maybe the occasional six page it's amazing how much basima jams in like eight panels to a page at some point he's working on a modified nine panel grid yeah on, on page 19 mm-hmm. there's uh 12 panels in the page yeah no. yeah no there's eight there's uh, 10 panels on the page. Yeah, so there's there's just some crazy stuff and and it, which leads to some some really sad undercutting because of course page 19 should have had a oh here comes Jeff and Graham's favorite panel in some time which is like the thing driving a, a Volkswagen bug, you know, but <laughs> because it's just jammed down to the because size it's, of it's literally like it's 16th of the page. Yeah, it's it's basically two Marvel super value stamps, uh, you know, stacked on top of each other in terms of width. It, it's really undramatic. And so one of the things I find fascinating is, is that Basima's 
character acting is great and his his page the 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 angles that he draws from are really energetic like the scenes the fights between thing and the torch and especially in next issue between thing and the hulk are incredibly dynamic mostly because of uh basima's just ability to draw at things from any, at any angle like he's not well, a stage storyteller yeah no but you discover very quickly uh as soon as especially as soon as he took over the the ff but really in this issue i think basima loves doing shots from beneath or above yes loves it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. never wants to be on an eye level with the character being in hell pits yeah exactly really dramatically wants to be either above them or below them right and and it works yes it does make it more visually exciting when he does that it absolutely does which is great because when you're caught up in it sort of from a from a panel by panel thing you're into it but like when i relook at the pages especially when you're looking at something like the the pdfs where you can see the double page spread on the iPad or something. It's um it's a mess. Yeah, the the pages are so overstuffed that they're just visually your eye just doesn't reject them. There's not there's not an especially good flow, you know. It it really works because of how much energy uh Basima's putting into the panels, not necessarily in what we think of as sort of a a the more kinetic choice of the flow of the the panels on the page or things. So. so I want to talk very quickly about the plot of this issue and then we can move on because uh, mm-hmm. 111 is – filler isn't the right word, but there's not a lot of story advancement overall, but there's an incredible amount of subplot advancement. Yes. Ben is on the run from the team. He is mm-hmm. he has abandoned the team. He's walked away. He – as people do in superhero comics in the 1970s and no, it's the 1960s for that matter. Mm-hmm. When they're on the run from the team – when they see another member of the team, they will immediately attack them. Yes. As opposed to hide, because that's yeah. what happens. So the thing gets into a fight with the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. Um, that is is the the A plot, but what's much more interesting is all the B plot stuff. Yes. Because the Human Torch gets into a fight with the thing, but then discovers that basically New York City has turned on him. They're yes. blaming him for everything that's going on. Right. Uh, we see this not only when the Human Torch is confronted by people on the street, but we then cut to the Daily Bugle, where again, J. Jonah Jameson is is very angry. Yeah. Uh, basically, the Fantastic Four are allowed to stay in New York. That's right. Uh, this is all subplot laying mm-hmm. uh, for what's going to come up in a couple of issues. But it reads, not knowing that, it reads, it reads well. Mm-hmm. It reads oddly. Mm-hmm. But oddly, in a way, we were like, "What's going on?" As opposed to, "Well, this makes no sense." You know, I gotta split. I gotta. I gotta disagree with you. Unfortunately, I. I have because looking at it, like when you go on, this is part of the thing that where I'm like, "Oh, okay." Here's Stanley actually doing what Stan has kind of wanted to do. He's building subplots, and it is. It's. You know, there's also the subplot where at one point um, Sue and Agatha Harkness are hanging out and Franklin gets disturbed by an, an announcement on the TV, even though he's not in the room, you know, yes. and this. And so there's a little bit of like, oh, yeah, there's there's that part was great. That's an com- entirely different subplot. But, you know, so you've got one subplot and then you've got this other subplot, which is supposed to be as if people are finally fed up with the fantastic four 
and they've had enough. And what's great, what should be great about it is, is that it later gets revealed that this is the influence of the overmind. The thing that I have a problem with is, is that, um, to me, Lee does not do it well. I mean, admittedly, this is a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking and you could dis agree with me, but and I do disagree with you. I know because the, the fact is as a subplot, it's actually pretty stealthy because the people who are complaining about the FF currently are pretty much jerks, you know, like you get a whole but scene with the landlord jerks or they are right for one of a better way of putting it. Okay. Because you have the citizens on the streets yes. who are understandably agitated that there was just a big fight in front of them. Yes. Right? And they're, I don't think they're wrong. No, you have no, James exactly. Jameson, who has been established to be a jerk. And then you have the landlord. Uh, landlord, who yeah. again has been established to be a jerk. Exactly. And in fact, you, you have the three, those three scenes happen immediately after each other. Exactly. Uh, but they read as, huh, things are looking bad for the team. Mm-hmm. And not this is a plot by supervillain, which I like. I really, really, genuinely like that. It reads more as here's another, like it's an overarching. People are sick of the FF, right. but it it doesn't read as a plot yet. It feels like there our heroes' problems are just beginning. Yeah, I which get, I really like. I I I like that too. I guess you know for me, and I know you would think this is uh, overegging the pudding, but for me. Frankly, if it had been Robbie Robertson who had been – because Jonah basically says to Robbie, you write this essay condemning the FF. And Robbie's like, no, I'm I'm not going to do it. I don't – I can't write it if I don't feel it and, and the FF have done a lot for our town. If Robbie had been like, yeah, okay, like that would have been, I think, to the larger Marvel universe to, – to the larger Marvel reader – more of a sign, like it would have been just enough well, of a base yeah, note to be like something's really wrong here. No, you, you see, know? that's that's where we differ because to me that would have been too far. That would have tipped the hand. Ah, uh, see, whereas I, I think, think at this point it really is just like while the jerks are just being dicks, it's a problem. Yes, I I, th- I think you have Robbie then saying, "Yep, I'm on your side, Jonah. They're terrible." I think you you are you're lampshading it as something is up, as opposed to. Jerks are just going to be jerks, and that's right. Haters are going to hate. My yeah. problem, my problem is, is unfortunately, I just don't have enough faith in Stan Lee as a storyteller. Like that lampshading would have been pretty great. I would have welcomed it because instead, let's face it, Graham. There's a lot else in this issue that m- suggests that it's not especially uh, well plotted. I mean, you you have. <laughs> Yes, the yeah. fact that that happens, and then you have the thing, basically, as you said, steal a VW bug, mm-hmm. and then the issue ends with the Hulk just gets out of, uh, Bruce Banner, of course, not the yes. Hulk. Bruce Banner gets out of a cab and is like, it's a thing, I'm going to turn into the Hulk, and it's like, that's the issue, they're going to fight you guys. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's an astonishingly uh, lax, uh, not even a middle chapter, because the story is, what, four issues long by this point? Yeah. Yeah, right. It's still going. So it's not... What is also funny, spoilers for everyone who are basically following along with our version and haven't read the issues, is it's hilarious to me having read all these issues now, the fact that this story literally goes nowhere. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> like, it's amazing that so much time is spent on the thing's a bad guy, and then they're literally like, and now he's not. Oh, you've I I have a I have a I have a real yeah. serious complaint about that later on because let's, let's, yeah. okay, let's get there. Let's let's move on to uh, one twelve. Yes, Battle of the Behemoths. Yes, or... the FF must finally face their greatest loss. Yeah, spoilers. No, no, they don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what greatest loss? There's not one. No, I'll tell you what the greatest loss is: punctuation. This is the oh, issue. Yes, this is the issue where where periods disappear. Where periods, and especially, and it took me a long time. I was like, "Why does this read so wrong? What was in its place?" And and of course, when it comes back, you realize there's a lot of um, word balloon flow that is created by double uh, m dashes, essentially from panel to panel. And in this issue. Everything drops out except exclamation points, which they're trying to minimize, question marks, which almost never happen, and then they totally remove the periods and the M dashes. And so it but, is. But only in some places, because that's my favorite with this. They appear in random places where clearly the editor forgot to strip them out. Yes. And, and, and when those appear, you're like, oh, thank God. And the rest of the time, they just float in this horrible void. It's amazing. Every it, time it, I've read these so issues. It's so disruptive. It yeah. is so disruptive to read this issue. And I want to say it continues to the next couple of issues, or at least the next issue. It does. Uh, it, it comes it, But to... it's amazingly disruptive to remove punctuation. Uh, it, it makes it a really difficult comic to read. It does. It, it just really has. You know, it's funny. I was reading um, Benjamin Mara's uh, uh, Amwat or One Man War on Terror terror assaulter which is uh not really germane to this discussion at all and people who pick it up expecting a fantastic four-esque read will be scaldingly traumatized but i was reading it and one of the things that's weird because mara is trying to recreate uh a bad comic and it's very much in that sort of oh i am i am basically going to mock the shit out of the the um the the politics and the story choices going on in say like later Herb Trimpey G.I. Joes, maybe. And one of the things that's weird is what I when I read it, I'm like, wow, Mara's really not... Like, I didn't feel it was a particularly astute satire because for one reason, all the punctuation was missing. So people were just saying things and the, the word balloons were floating in voids. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really the way they do it. And then to read this stuff, I was like... Oh my God! Like it really, there is. <laughs> he no... knew what he was doing after all. Yeah, exactly. For example, I mean, there's so many examples that that we can point to. But on page three, panel two, where Hulk says nothing can stop Hulk, and it there's no punctuation or anything. It's just a weird flat. I hear it in this weird monotone. It's like yes, someone is. Yes, no, it's true. And and uh, the same on page uh, page two, panel two, mm-hmm. where you have. The thing saying, last time I tangled you, I went easy on you because I didn't know no better. But this time it's going to be different. And there's no punctuation. Yeah. And it's it's just a strange, mumbly, muttery monotone of an entire issue that is uh, ridiculously distracting. I read this thing like three times and it was just like, God, pay, pay attention. And at every time they're just like, the FF must be stopped before it's too late. Like, it's just, we got to go there and help. It's like, stop, stop. Um, 
So another thing that's interesting is you get you you do see the building frustration between Reed and Johnny uh, in this issue, which again I because feel Reed's trying to kill Johnny. Yes, I love that part where Reed, this, where Johnny's this like, happens because Johnny flies out the FF, uh, yes. the back to building. Sorry, I should say because uh, he is frustrated that Reed is taking too long to come up with a plan. Yeah. And Reed literally just douses him in chemical foam that extinguishes his flame while Johnny is in mid-fucking-air. Yes. And Johnny even says, is he trying to kill me? And his face is like, he's fucking terrified. Like, this is a... Because he's in mid-air and all of he's... a sudden he can't fly. Yes, he's. it's a serious dick move by Reed. And of course, Reed's also... like... Does it saying I'm still the leader here, no matter what? Yeah, I mean, again, there's that horrible Uh-oh. like read, read, understand. So this is actually something I wanted to ask you because because the tensions between Reed and Johnny continue to grow here and really reach you know kind of a, a, a an apex or in a nadir, depending on how you want to look at it. Next issue, do you think um, that Stan? Basically shorn of Jack and without Kirby pacing, you know, doing his storytelling incentive, which tends to throw always remember to throw in a little bit of warmth and sentimentality, even if it's just in the acting stripped of that. Do you feel that the FF as portrayed by Lee, at least in these issues, you know, until he leaves is kind of closer to the FF of the first Literally the first five or six issues of the title. You said this last time as well. Did I? Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay. And I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can see it, but I'm not entirely sure. I I cosign. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. How do I put it? I'm not. You're not even sure you sign either. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That I think it's an observation. I sort of feel like it's a little bit of Stan recreating the wheel. Like I don't think he's trying to go back and evoke that or anything. No, I I think it's Stan. uh, Stan's recipe for conflicts now. Yeah, uh, is is much closer to. Well, everyone just disagrees with each other. Right, right, which which we know sort of... Kirby's work is very warm. Yeah. And Kirby, and we talked about this last time as well, Kirby liked to have the beginnings of stories being the FF being a family Mm -hmm. and enjoying each other's company. That's right. And you're seeing less than that now. So instead of seeing like, oh, sometimes they disagree, but they like each other's company, you're just seeing sometimes they disagree. Yeah, well, I mean... I, I think it actually significantly reframes... The, the story it does it does it's I, I think it's fascinating because uh we're going to be coming up on the later issues of ff which were the first issues that i read which are very disturbing in that the the ff are more or less at each other's throats all the time oh yeah there there, there comes a point very soon actually mm-hmm. where the ff kind of becomes like the weird divorce comic yes exactly exactly and what i find fascinating is is that you see I sort of figured that it was like, oh, okay, this is, these are the fanboys who are following in Stan's footsteps, who are um, misunderstanding what Stan and Jack were trying to do. But what I find fascinating is, is it's a little bit closer to a party line. This is, this is very much like, 
you know, Stan is is very much mired in this idea of conflict equals drama, uh, and in a way, and there, that... therefore, everyone will disagree. Right. As exactly. To... I mean, because I guess he does have them all working towards a common goal, but the common goal is always like a really dramatic. We must stop the bad guy. Common goal. Yes. As opposed to like something much smaller. Yeah. Where everyone's pretty much on the same page but they have different ideas about how to go about it and that can create conflict without it actually being a I'm actually going to try and put your flame out while you're miles above New York City. Yeah, exactly. I mean there there there's there it it how do I put it? It feels like the Stanley who's read his press releases more than maybe the Stanley who's read his comics, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um Something I want to talk about in this issue is mm-hmm. the, the this issue, the A plot of this issue uh, is, again, the thing is evil and he's fighting the Hulk. Yeah. And that's it. And the fight goes on all the way to the second last page of the comic. Yes. Something that is very interesting to me about the fight visually mm-hmm. is the abstraction that Bishema puts it in. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of, here's a hand. Mm-hmm. And or here's an arm mm-hmm. with lots of dramatic emphasis. Yeah, you know, here's you know a hand coming out of nowhere, and the, the he's punching the Hulk, but you only see the Hulk's face in the hand. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or, uh, there is the wonderful thing on page where is it? It's page eighteen. Mm-hmm. The uh, fifth panel on page eighteen. It's a nine panel grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, is theoretically. The thing in the Hulk punching each other. Yeah. And all you see is the thing's right hand, the thing's mm-hmm. left hand, and the Hulk's left arm. Yeah, I mean... With, with the dialogue, then what are we waiting for? Hulk is through waiting. With yeah. no punctuation, remember? Yes, oh God, which is, again, the flat weird, monotone. Weird, yeah. weird panel. But it's, it's, all, it's all very... You know, for a slugfest issue, Bashema's art choices yeah. make it a weirdly abstract thing. Yeah. Well, it's very undynamic. I, I think, well, that's it. You read through it and there is so much because, again, he's he's jamming a lot of panels on the page. Like those that, you know, and usually not really to great effect. Like my my favorite page in the issue, I think for the most part, is probably page sixteen, where after the thing and the Hulk have plunged off a building, and Hulk falls to the street, and Thing manages to pull himself into a building. Page sixteen is him ripping open an elevator, uh, and sliding down the cables, and. You know, the Hulk digs himself out of the rubble, the thing runs out of the building, and then the last panel of page 16 is the two of them pouncing on each other. To me, that's one of those pages where it's like, oh, okay, this actually has pacing. It goes from three to two to one, and it's got that wonderful feeling of it's like first there's Ben, then the city people, then you see Hulk, then you see Thing, and then you see Hulk and Thing coming together. And it's like, oh, this is some great visual storytelling you know but but when you see that panel in particular which i gloss over you know that you pointed out graham in the middle exact dead center of of page night 18 or yeah 18 i mean that is literally the post kirby equivalent 
of one of those fights in Popeye where it's just a cloud and there's yes. two arms coming out yes. of it and swear I, words? so much of it. I mean, if you look at the rest of that page, uh, yes. the third panel yeah. is the Hulk getting uh, washed away by water. And now you can see his feet and his hand yeah. and water. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so much, so much of this abstraction or or focus that, on one hand, is you know it's interesting choices, yeah. But almost all of them are bad choices that rob this story of any true kineticism. When you have a fight that goes on for an entire issue, you rely on the kineticism. Well, and you, in theory, particularly when it's just a fucking fight, like you can't be like you can't imagine that that. Lee is like buried Basima in tons of detail. Like, oh, you got to have a sanitation truck pop up. Like, exactly. He's going to pick up a tree, and then yeah. the Hulk's going to tear apart a tree. Yeah. And so the Hulk's then going to pick up some grass, and then there's going to be a statue. <laughs> like, you know that Stan was not like, okay, we're going to have this set piece, then we're going to have this set piece, yeah. then we're going to have set. He clearly was like, okay, they're going to fight for an issue. Yeah. And I need you to get here by the end, and I need you to have this subplot in there. And so what I think is interesting is is that normally when you see um, panels where it's just a fist or just a face or, you know, that amazing panel, uh, panel three on page 18 where it's just the Hulk's feet and one hand, like, there's usually the idea that someone is doing that because they're really way under a deadline. Uh, but... Everything is so detailed. A lot of other stuff is really detailed. And there's so many panels on each page with so much happening in each panel that I think that honestly, Basima is, like you said, the choices are bad. I just don't, I just don't think Basima likes this. This is not really. But it's like the choices are fascinatingly bad. Yeah. Well, because I like, think. These are not intuitive choices. Right. Because. continually makes. N- non-intuitive choices yeah. that make the story worse. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, because I, um, I think he really doesn't want to do the typical Kirby slugout. It doesn't interest him. So his his way of like, well, how do I make this either, how do I make it interesting to me? And how do I, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to have lots of abstract shots. I'm going to try and create a feeling of being in a fight where you're not visually oriented and things just kind of come up at you, he. I. I feel like he's trying to create a very um, dynamic. Uh, what's What's the word? It's It's from the inside, you know, feeling of what it's like to be in a fight. You know, an impressionistic feeling of it, a super slugout, and it doesn't work. I mean, it really doesn't work. There's a, so many choices. I agree with you that are bad, and it's just kind of a weird. For what should be an issue that, again, is supposed to, you know, be like, oh, my God, this is a this is a big event. Uh, the thing and the Hulk are slugging it out. And what's weird is the thing is uh, is a bad guy. So he's not even going to hold be holding back. Uh, you still kind of get a very it just because of Basima's choices, you know, he's it just feels it again feels kind of flat. The only thing that really has a lot of zap in terms of storytelling, like I said, was that one page on page 16 for me. And then I kind of dig uh, on page 20 when Reed and Johnny show up with the cosmic muffler that Reed has insisted that they work on instead of going to save Ben. And it's too late. Ben is dead essentially. Well, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, dead for all of a cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so be- before we get to the cliffhanger, uh, there's a couple of other things I want to say about this issue. Ooh, okay. The Sue subplot is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. In the previous issue, Sue took Franklin to stay with Agatha, and in the uh, the final scene of that issue for mm-hmm. Sue, she's about to go out to New York, and then Franklin's upset. She's like, I should stay here with my son. Mm-hmm. This issue's Sue subplot is literally her going, I should go, I've got to get back to the FF. Yeah. Why am I not there? Yeah. Which is so weird. Like, yeah. there is, it, you realize that it served no purpose for Sue to go back yes. uh, to Agatha other than to get her away from Reed and Johnny. The other thing I want to say about this issue super quickly is Stan has forgotten how the Hulk works. The Hulk says twice, the longer I fight, the stronger I am. Yeah. Which is fascinating. But also, the Hulk, uh, spoilers everyone, believes that he has killed the thing. Yes. The thing turns his head because he hears that Alicia has been hit by rubble behind them. Mm-hmm. The Hulk punches him while he's turned his head. And everyone thinks that the thing is dead. And at that point, the Hulk then just turns into Bruce Banner and walks away. Yeah. And that that's a thing that happens, I guess. That the Hulk's like, fight's over, zoop, yes. Banner, and, yeah. which right. is so so off the 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 Hulk brand, for want of a better way of putting. It. Well, like, if if the idea that like the Hulk turned into Bruce Banner again when danger was passed, right, that would be an entirely different book. Oh, completely. Okay, but I mean, this is. Stan is a guy who's got such a solid grasp on the Hulk. He called him by the wrong name, you know, (laughs) for for issues. So, I mean, he, the, the thing that if we were doing, if we were doing the Hulk cast instead of the Baxter building, um, people would have listened to my whole tirade where once again, the Hulk is very much a Lee Kirby creation that is very much Kirby that, that Kirby leaves relatively soon after. Really quickly, yeah. Yeah, and Lee goes on to significantly misunderstand. If you if you read the Hulk stuff, the status quo that we think of that we that was the Hulk status quo for many years until Peter David came along, that takes a ridiculously long time to get locked in place because Stan just can't get his head wrapped around it. He's very much like okay. Like Betty loves Bruce and they're torn apart and and Bruce gets yelled at by people. But the number of times in which the nature of the Hulk's transformation. Oh, go- it's, it's like, is it nighttime? Yeah. No, Betty's it's when he stands on the special gamma ray machine and pushes it with his toe. No, wait. Now it's that he's Rick. No, wait. Now it's that it's Rick at night. Sexy. You know, like, it just goes on and on and on. And frankly... It's, of course, the uh, adults only Marvel series. It didn't see print. It's kind of a a shame. Too sexy for regular Uh, readers. I want to say also that the cliffhanger of this issue is such a forced cliffhanger. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which is on page 19, uh, the Hulk punches Ben. And, again, if you're looking at the art, Ben's just comatose. But out of nowhere, Johnny says, you killed him by being too late. You killed Ben. Yeah, I love that. 
It's amazing. I I just I just love the fact. I mean, there is something that I ha- have to say. This 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 does. We'll talk about it in a few issues, but there's a way in which Johnny is acting like such an asshole that I'm kind of like, oh, maybe he really is a teenager. Maybe he really is a realistically <laughs> captured teenager because he's so quick to blame Reed for something. He's like, you killed Ben. I'm like, I think I think the Hulk punching him as hard as he could in his head might have had something to do with it. Also, but... to be fair, we don't know he's dead. Right, exactly. Plus, to be fair... When we get to the next issue, oh, there's so many things to turn around. But yes. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the next issue. FF113. Before mm. the FF can catch their breath, they will have to face the power of the Overmind. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this. This is probably the turnaround issue for me. This is the issue where I was like, huh. Maybe this isn't going to be the worst experience of our lives reading through this. Oh, it. interesting, interesting, because uh, it's next issue for me. Yeah, but it's 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 thing. I, I, it really is for me as well. But this is this issue that starts that plot, mm-hmm. and also that hilariously does away with the evil thing plot. Oh, which yeah. let's be honest, despite everyone's best attempts, was going nowhere. Well, I, I, you know, this this is. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Shall we do a plot synopsis of this super quickly, and then we can talk about? It? Yeah, let let why, why don't, I'll leave that up to you because you are so. Okay, much so with so that. short version. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing isn't dead. Who knew? Be- uh, Reed says I can't find a heartbeat, and everyone, for some reason, wants to arrest Reed in particular. Reed tries to escape. Uh, turns into a ball. Hilariously, when he's a ball, smashes yeah. into a wall and knocks himself out because he can't see where he's going because he's a ball. I, I love, love that. I love that. I love that so much. And I have uh, to say, one of the things that is shocking that almost made me wonder if this issue was ghost written by someone else is it's, just, just Reed does something that dumb. Reed does something that dumb and in the art, and there's not a, a thought balloon where he's sit thinking like, only one chance if I can just throw myself into a wall and convince them I've stunned myself. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, anybody's lying there, like cuddled up. If there should be a thought balloon being like, I hope they buy my lying here in a ball trick. Exactly. Uh, now, if Sue shows up just as I predicted, yes. mm-hmm. because that's the other thing, Sue saves them because Sue uh, arrives back in time to put a shield over them. Yeah. Uh, they decide that they are all going to take Ben back to the Baxter building because Reed. As much as we like to make fun of Reed for being omnipotent, Reed finally realizes maybe Ben isn't dead. Yes. And sure enough, spoilers, Ben isn't dead. Mm -hmm. He uses his machine on Ben. Ben comes back to life. And in my favorite plot twist ever, Reed says, not only are you alive, Ben, but you're back to normal again. The machine's disaster side effects have completely worn off. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Out of nowhere that comes out. And it, it's kind of like Reed was like, yeah, I built the side effects in. That's how I know they're gone. Well, see, it is it is one of those things that that that's, uh, it makes me, and part of why I was like, yeah, maybe Stan didn't write this. It's like, I'm convinced that Stan did, is because he's, you know, Stan, Stan's like an improv guy. The previous issue, he had this, you know, piece of machinery that he was like, I have to use this. This is super important. It's vital. We've got to turn him back. Do they need the machinery? No. Is Johnny, in essence, basically correct? Yes. 
And yet it's so completely pushed aside because for, I'm sure given his druthers, if Stan was doing a full script, it would have had like, oh, I've got this machine. Here's our chance. I can revive him and blah, 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 because I cleverly, you know, instead he's like, OK, I'm just going with what it is, which is super thick heartbeat. And now he's fine. Like Stan's like, OK, I'm going to roll with it. Like I, I we didn't mention this because, of course, it's just, you know, part of me is like it's probably not even interesting uh, at all to have me harp on how annoying Reed is with his omnipotence. But I do love in one of the previous issues where he's explaining the whole way in which Ben became bad. He more or less says, I knew this would have might have maybe happened, you know, and I'm like, yes. what? Serious. Yeah, it's just is that classic like you've got to let go of this this is driving me crazy but i do find that it is fascinating that in this situation kind of in the same way as in lost adventure where it's like i'm going to show you he could have destroyed the world it's like okay we got to the end of the issue technically that didn't like prove anything but i'm not going to point it out there is that idea of like we absolutely needed this machine except no in this issue it turns out that i didn't like i mean it is it is you only can understand it in a in a metatextual sense that 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 these comics are in the act of being created, and maybe that's why they inspired so many comic book creators in a way. Is there it's is a you can see them literally working things out on the page. Yeah, exactly. In a in a way that if you don't look at it that way, then you know Reed Richards really is like Rusty Venture and is just a desperate ridiculous has been who is saying anything at any moment in and hoping that no one will notice just how incredibly pathetic he is. So also in the uh, world of hilarious plot twists, uh, Reed basically tells Ben, I, you can turn back into Ben Grant whenever you want. And the thing destroys the machine. Yes. And says, you know what? I don't want to. Alicia is completely fine with me being the thing. I'm completely fine being the thing. The end. And so sure, everyone, those last five issues of plot went nowhere. Right. right but that's right, okay, because right. we have a whole new story to deal with, which starts a couple of pages hence. First of all, though, we have to get to the fact that Johnny <laughs> hilariously gets really upset that no one's helping him find Crystal. He actually says, no one's just breaking his heart worrying about Johnny Storm. No one cares that I lost the girl I love. And then he's so upset... Johnny jumps out the window and forgets to flame on. Yeah, he he actually jumps out the window or just runs. He, like, runs off crying and then just dashes out an open door into nowhere, which apparently the Baxter building, which Reed Richards put in for a variety of reasons, and then forgets to flame on for, like, three pages. Panels. Again, this is my thing of, like, three pages. That would have been awesome. Uh, that that's back in the John Romita days. I think that actually did happen, where he forgets to flame on until Reed harangues him three pages later. Reed, Reed harangues him here as well. No, Stop I know. Kids, flame on! Can't you hear me? <laughs> I don't know. Do you think he's thought about that himself, Reed? Do you think? Do you think he's maybe thought I'm falling to my death for the second time in two issues? Yes. Yeah. I'm falling, must have been out of my head, flame on. It would be, again, this is why when you're like, oh, Jeff, no, he would have over-egged the pudding to have Robbie Robertson. I'm like, this stuff is like, it's not like Johnny's got some brain tumor subplot going on. It's, no, you but know. There, but, okay, but in the panel where he runs out the, the window, mm -hmm. there is actually an art explanation for what's going on. Mm -hmm. The Overmind's light is visible in that panel. 
Mm, interesting. It's right there. The overminds could have influenced him to do it, but did Stan once take that? Nope. No, I, he didn't. Bad news for you, my friend. Unfortunately, yes. that oh, is... Oh, no, because that's not the overminds, is it? It's that the line Watcher. Is the Watcher. Yeah, exactly. Who, exactly. spoilers, shows up uh, in the very next scene to say, hey, you guys, bad guy's coming. Can't say <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Gotta go. And I'm not joking. This is literally... What the watcher says. I believe that this is this is the issue that turned it around for you, huh, Graham? Where you're like, oh, this is this is okay. (laughs) We're not going to be suffering in pain because the watcher (laughs) actually shows up in the most ridiculously anticlimactic. Okay, I love this. Now the time has come for you to hear the warning of the watcher once again. I have violated the oath of my people. What I've beheld, I can say only one phrase. One phrase that may change. Of human life, beware the overmind. I may say no more. You have been forewarned. The fate of all mankind may well be in your hands. And then he leaves. Right. Beware the overmind. Watcher, I mean, it's... you're the best. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Again, it's that kind of concept of it's hilarious, and it's uh, I, there's so much about it that's ridiculous. I love it. I actually love the way that uh, Basima draws the Watcher. Actually, he's just he draw his, his Watcher is totally awesome and great but the fact that he shows up and just says a phrase that let's face it is nonsensical and accomplishes so nothing right. i will can only say one phrase that will make no sense to you yeah but it might be the most important phrase in human history in human history gobble the cheese not on the plate i can say no more you know just uh, great. Uh, and then like, Agatha okay. Harkness shows up, too, as long as oh, I yeah, stick with yeah. the recounting. So Agatha yeah. Harkness shows up in the sky yes. as Reed and Sue are flying and says, Reed Richards, you must hear my words. I'm projecting my thoughts through the infinite in order to reach you. Also, at this point, I realized, have, like, when did the FF realize that Agatha was, like, a super powerful witch? Because she doesn't do it in her first... She doesn't come out in her first appearance and say it, right? Uh, and no, the second, The next time you see her mm-hmm. is she shows up at the Baxter building to augment the attempt to save Reed from the negative zone. So and they, I think that's pretty much it. I think that's, but that's gotta be like, it. There's, there's no scene where they're like, she's a witch. Anyway, she shows up and she's like, Reed Richards, you must hear my words. I'm projecting my thoughts through the infinite in order to reach you. Again, none of this is punctuation. Yes. I sense grave danger awaiting the Fantastic Four. You must all flee while there is still time. And Reed says, wherever you are, if you can hear me, tell us what is the danger and how, how did you sense it? And Agatha says, I did not sense it alone. There's no more time. The strain is too great. I must leave you now. Flee. You must flee before it is too late and disappears. Right. This is awesome shit, Jeff. I can't believe you don't agree with me that this is like totally the turnaround issue. The FF or the F2, I should say, because let's not forget, Ben is off dating Leisha and Johnny is just sulking somewhere they they land on the rooftop of city hall only to find out that there's a warrant out for their arrest mm-hmm. uh, leading to my favorite thing line in a long time which is uh they're trying to arrest reed and sue and johnny and the thing just shows up because yeah. he has been with the rest of the team and the cop says, how did you get here? And the thing goes, same as everybody else. Didn't you ever hear of the birds and bees? <laughs> yeah. I love that line. There, 
there, I love it. To me, there's a lot of stuff in here where I didn't I didn't write them down, but Lee's ability to craft a a, a really decent joke just on a panel to panel basis, you know, particularly where Ben's involved. There's a lot of stuff that's genuinely funny, which is great, and that is one of my favorites. But I mean, okay, for me, I would say, and this was not where I thought, oh, this is a turnaround issue, is watching Reed Richards climb down the stair of his own hands on page 18, panel <laughs> 6. I love I, that. Oh my god. That is is the so closest good. we're ever going to get to Mr. Fantastic Goatsy. And it's probably just as well. But I mean, it looks ridiculous. So I, he's like, I can also I love that he's like, I can't land the plane. I'll just leave it to hover. Yeah. Uh just just because. Because yeah. I bet you know, I'm hoping that I'm gonna be able to come out and land the plane at some point before it runs out of fuel. Because otherwise, the plane might land on someone. You know, that's, that's fine. And then he's like, Sue, you just like swing down my arms to mm-hmm. the rooftop. Not the ground, mind you, the rooftop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I will turn my hands into a ladder okay. that I will then clutch on myself. See, Ram, you're just being, you're just kind of being a butt by insisting that this is a good issue. Because it's really not. It's Stanley's <laughs> okay. farewell issue. and it is, it is Stanley's farewell issue. Anyway, I've not finished my plot synopsis, which is, if I part of the city hall, they find out they're being arrested. Right. They go to see the mayor, and they're like, no, we've just got like two massive fucking warnings that something big is going to happen. And the mayor's like, nope, nope, you, nope, you guys are getting arrested. Sorry, you guys. As they get led out by the policeman, it turns out that the Overmind, that's right, the very guy the Watcher warned them about, is controlling the mayor. Yeah. To be continued indeed, Stan. Oh, wait, is is this, I'm sorry, is next issue Archie's first issue, Archie Goodwin's first issue? Uh, Or is it, no, I think, I think I might be wrong. I think it might be... Maybe, well, we'll check. We'll check. All I know is is that I remember being like, again, rereading this. It very much ends with this kind of big cliffhanger where... And that's just your Stan as well. Yeah, okay. Because, again, it's that classic, like, no, I kind of have to blame Stan for this. Because, again, in that classic, like, here's my big cliffhanger, next issue, watch me roll this back, is the Overmind has influenced the mayor. The FF have all gotten dragged off. And the Overmind is like, now it's on to, like, I'll control the president and all the generals and all this stuff. And I am going to, first, I've got to, like, you know, this hilarious, like, the time has come for the prophecy, the ancient prophecy to be fulfilled. From beyond the star shall come the Overmind, and he shall crush the universe. Okay. I get so tired (laughs) of that fucking prophecy by the end of it. But also... So that's how it ends. It's a fairly decent cliffhanger that Stan goes on to completely ignore when it comes time to open the next issue. Because well, okay, do you want to just move on to the next issue, or is there anything about one thirteen that you want to talk about? Oh like, my god! Like, like there's nothing right. that I can talk about in any productive way about this. I let me see. <laughs> there's got to be some other little bitchy things about this, but no, I think we caught it. I mean, I do. I, I do love one thirteen. I genuinely do. Oh, I why, think is... Graham? Because I like the Overmind plot, and this is the first part of the Overmind plot. Mm-hmm. I really like the Overmind plot. Um, mm-hmm. I am really glad to see the end of the thing being a villain, which, mm-hmm. to my mind, was a plot that really genuinely went nowhere. Uh, 
And I love the dumbness of things like Johnny running out the thing. See, it's uh, genuinely funny to me. The, 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 there's stuff that's funny there, but I just, again, I really feel... And, and there is a little bit of the... I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just I just can't. Because as you point out, the thing stuff goes nowhere. As we pointed out uh, in the previous uh, episode, the idea is that it's as much um, Stan petulantly... Um, scoring some points off the departing Jack Kirby as anything else, and then you do have to wonder that the fact if it if it is that as both of us claimed, mm-hmm. then the fact that it just stops so suddenly. Well, do you think it... at some point Stan is like, "Oh wait, I've got to stop scoring points because this guy's a member of the team." <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like I, at some point, I have to stop treating this character as Jack because yeah. he's actually a fictional character that I have to keep around. I I. I think it I think it's one part that and I think it's one part again I think Stan's an improv guy, you know? I think I think in his head it's like, okay, I'm going I'm going to paint Ben as, you know, basically a, a self interested coward who, you know, only sticks up for himself when the chips are down and let everyone let his team down. And then I think he's kind of like, oh, and then I'll change this to this idea. Because I think, I think if you look at what, what Lee's thinking of, I, and this is the problem for me, is, is I agree with you that the Overmind story is, is really ambitious in its way. It really is this idea of you have Ben run amok, you have the city turn on the FF. There's a few points where Reed basically says, like, this is all kind of your fault, Ben, except... You know, the twist is it's really not that there is the overmind who's behind the scenes of things and manipulating everyone to hate the Fantastic Four. And that the overmind himself is this attempt by Stan to kind of figure out how to outdo, how to how to create a Lee and Kirby level sized villain without having Kirby on board. Um all of that stuff is actually really great. The idea there, there's a sequence in, in, in this issue that we're just about to start discussing 114, um, where the overmind wipes the member, like fights the FF more or less to a standstill and then just gets bored, wipes their mind. They completely forget about it and fly off and, and forget that it's ever happened. And I'm like, it's really well handled because of how quickly it's dismissed. And you kind of see see where Stan is is building toward a kind of sense of uh, potentially super resonant paranoia considering that this is coming out in like 1971 or something but but because he's Stan because of the Marvel method because Basima's doing the stuff that Basima's doing it just it never comes together and again to open it with this sequence you know so I feel I feel on the one hand Stan is as an improv guy, he was like, ah, this thing, story isn't really going anywhere. I'm going to morph it into this story where everyone hates on the FF and you think it's because of what Ben has done, but it's not. And that's going to be a super cool twist. But the twist, because so much of what Stan can do, like Stan, Stan's skills really aren't up to Stan's level. I'm fascinated by the well, way in which these subplots that he puts in, I'm like, oh, look, he's actually doing subplots. And I'm like, they're kind of faltering little feeble things comparatively, you know? Mm. I'm going to say right now that the reason I like the Overmind part mm-hmm. story so much is not Stan. 
it's mm-hmm. specifically the Archie Goodwin. Yes. Um, because of what Archie does that Stan would never do. Exactly. And and we'll get uh, to I that. Know exactly what I talked about, great. but yeah. I'm not going to... Yeah, I'm not going to say that until we get there. Yeah. FF114 is Stanley's last issue. Yes. And kind of fascinatingly, like Jack, he leaves in the middle of a story, which mm-hmm. is really weird. And also, talking about this, John Byrne leaves uh, FF uh, with part one of a three-part story as well. Huh. Isn't that really strange? That is really strange. Huh. Um, anyway, uh, but who shall stop the Overmind is the mm-hmm. name of um, FF. 114, which opens with the Fantastic Four bailing themselves out, and Reed reveals that he's super fucking rich. Yes. Uh, he he can, from his personal savings, he can uh, post $20,000 yeah. bail for the team. As they, they leave the courthouse, uh, they are besieged by reporters, and Johnny reveals that he not only can flame on, he can also steam on. Yes. Uh, I, I is a thing. It's one of those that kind of makes sense, but also really doesn't if you think about it. Well, and and technically, in the previous issue, there is that really crazy sort of psycho thing where you think Johnny loses his shit and is going to firebomb the the crowds that are protesting outside the Baxter Building, and then it it just turns out to be a smoke bomb pellet type thing. So. You're right. It, uh, I'm, I, I, me being quibblemeister is like, no, Graham. He's had this power for exactly one issue. What are you talking exactly. about? But yeah, as the FF make their escape under these these smoke screen, the Overmind, who is just hilariously wandering around, yeah. looking like the Overminds. I have to say, the Overminds design is a very, very Jack Kirby, um, and uh, B, I kind of love it. Okay. You don't you don't think that Basima has clearly like looked at Kirby design and been like, okay, I'm going to do a Kirby costume? Maybe in the sense that I am he's totally misunderstood it, yes. Because he gets the idea of like, okay, I've gotta have a helmet. He's gotta, gotta be have physically a helmet that's imposing. Stop off it. Yeah. I've gotta have like gloves have, slash like, gauntlet only... type action. Yes. But I've all the iron, which is a very graphic element. Mm-hmm. Uh like the so the boots they're like thigh high boots he's wearing yeah. are a very graphic element. The chest is, has got the very graphic element as well. It's it is to me, it reads as very on looking at Kirby design trying to do a Kirby costume. Right, and misunderstanding it. Because those designs don't mean anything in a weird way, because Basima, bless his heart, is incredibly talented. But like I said, I don't think that his energy is particularly here. It is in the He's, he's okay with the superhero stuff, but, you know, you see him when he gets to Conan and those things and the Prince Valiant influences, you see what he really wants to draw, you know? And so the Kirby stuff, like, if you wanted to draw Kirby in a way that you he didn't work, like, it's like, Basima's like, okay, you've got to have some sort of heraldic thing on the chest, what should I make it? I should just make it something that's really easy to draw. Okay, he's got to have something on his helmet... I'm going to make it look like a saw blade because that's pretty easy to draw. I mean, the fact is the Overmind, to me, looks like a lumberjack wrapped in aluminum wrap. And that is not necessarily what I think of as a dynamic Kirby-esque design. I just don't. It's so funny because I was like, why don't I respond to the Overmind? Because particularly once you get to his origin, which again is done by Archie Goodwin, so I have no idea how much of a hand Stan has in it. But once you get to his origin, which is kind of this idea of like 
you know, it's practically a Michael Bay-esque version of taking a Kirby story and make, trying to figure out how to pump it up even more. Um, I'm like, why don't I respond to this guy? He's basically, if you mix Professor X with, like, uh, the Hulk, you know, why why isn't that in, awesome? In the body of a pro wrestler. In the body of a pro Let, wrestler, let's yeah. throw that in. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but... But the fact is, so so for me seeing him, I'm like, yeah, it's 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 not it's not an interesting design. He really does just look like the world's most tyrannical snowflake, you know. And I, I just I'm choosing to disagree with you. I really like design. <laughs> okay. So. Well, nonetheless, I think you can agree with me that instead of following through on his promise to you know, take over the president and the general and conquer the whole world. He's instead decided to just go for a walk. Uh, and, and, or since he doesn't know that we have bail is actually kind of surprised that the FF, which he made a point to get arrested, didn't really bother to follow through on in any way. Um, but, but I, but I love that when he does come across them, he then spends what eight pages mm-hmm. fighting. them. Yeah. Kicking their ass and then making them forget, like you said. Yeah. Which is so great. Yeah. It's so great. That part because I, I love. It's, it is such a great moment of, oh, the FF are really in trouble and they don't know. Yes. The fact that they really don't know. And like you, like you said, I mean, later it's Archie Goodwin. But the fact is you don't even have Reed do his, like, I somehow suspect that something is wrong, but if only I could work out what with my unbelievable brain. Like... The fact that they just don't know. In fact, the the really, it's one of the the one scene where the lack of punctuation really serves so well. Is after the FF get their mind wiped, there's that shot of them, a long shot of them flying back to the Baxter Building, and Johnny says, "Last one back is Doctor Doom," and without any punctuation at all, it just feels so invasion of the body snatcher ish. You know, the, I just really, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger? That sure looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Holy shit. I, I didn't, I read these on the, on the Marvel what? Unlimited, what but are you, what are you talking about? I, on page, what, across from oh, page, yeah, the yeah, ad yeah, across yeah, from yeah. page 12. On, on page 13, Joe Welder creates a strong arm method. I'm pretty sure that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is not Joe Welder. He's not new hell bent for leather and lead bracelets. Oh my God. But it is. Wow. That well, was, that, sorry. Now I know it has to go on the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, otherwise people are going to be like, what the hell were you guys talking yeah, about? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's an advert in the, the original. I, and it, sorry, it totally, I was like, what? Okay. Um, so you know, yes, but about it's, it's it being very envision of the body snatchers. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, Last yeah. one back is Dr. Doom. So um, the, the FF get back to the Baxter building. Only for reads to hilariously try and recap what has happened over the last few issues. And my favorite part is get interrupted by the thing where he's like, and then you went on a rampage, Ben. And the thing's like, all right, all right, we already know that. I love that. I like how he's like, okay, I turned evil. Let's, let's move past it. Let's stop talking about that. All of us turned evil. Yeah. Okay, we can, we can, we can, we don't have to talk about that anymore. Yeah. And Reed's, Reed's response is in Stan's last issue: classic 
Stanley Reed Richards. Simmer down, Ben. I'm well, not doing this just to hear myself talk. Yes, you are. Yeah. Well, well see, this is this is the weird metatextual thing. Like, classically, no, he's not. We know that he's doing it to fill in readers. Like, this is exposition. There's a really weird thing that Stanley does of hanging a lampshade on his text and then coming up with an alternate reason for that lampshade. It's it's very it's very clever. Also, that being said, I wish that if there's one wish that I had for our all of 14 episodes of our Baxter building so far is I wish that I had screenshot every time Reed said to somebody, simmer down, Ben, stow it, Johnny. Like it's a classic piece of Reed dialogue. <laughs> Someone says something and he tells the person to stow it, up. stop it, simmer down, Get a hold of yourself, Sue. Like, all he does is, like, order these yes, people around. Like, Stuart Mister. Yeah, so frequently. So frequently. Uh, and it would it would make for a really entertaining Tumblr, so I'm kind of sorry I did not make the time to do that, because... Uh, as as all this is going on, I'm ignoring you and getting back to the story, Jim. <laughs> uh, as the, all this is going on, uh, even as Mr. Fantastic makes a dramatic decision, this caption says, we turn again to the mysterious Overmind, who is literally wandering the streets saying, phase one has ended, phase yeah. two must now begin, with no punctuation. <laughs> I cannot emphasize how weird it is Um I must return to my hidden ship, but our snarling beast seeks to bar my way. Let him snarl no longer. How simple it is to make him toss out with a single gesture. <laughs> Uh, anyway, for some weird reason, the Overmind ship is hidden underneath a scrapyard. Uh, I love that. I love that. It's just totally like also, my. I have to ask. This is really the issue that turned you around? No, 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 no. Sorry. The first, the first Archie Goodwin issue. Yeah, I forgot yeah, this okay. issue kind of because uh, while I will stand behind my choice, if your choice was this one, I was, I would be. Yeah, you're ready to mock me mercilessly. Yeah. No, 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 no. This one, this one also is just absolutely ridiculous and again i have to give stan some credit like there's shit where he when he actually says you know all that i do must be inscribed upon the tablet of the eternals okay we find out what that's going to be but it's it's actually pretty rare for stan to drop a phrase like that and not explain it immediately but he he, he adds to it in the very next panel for it is the eternals who have given me my, and my goal it is the eternals who have decreed death to the universe Right, like right. so, you know, he's he's like these are the bad guys. Um, we then head back to the FF where Agatha is showing up, and they, they decide to ask her to contact the Watcher, maybe on this suspicion that like she's old and he's old, and so like they hang out or something. Yeah, I don't quite know what their thinking is. Yeah, here. Yeah, um, but she, again, who knows what anyone was thinking. Uh, says that she can do it mm -hmm. with a mystic circle and the help of Johnny and Ben. That's right. And she does a Stanley magic spell, mm -hmm. which may be a first for the Marvel Universe because the Scarlet Witch didn't do spells. That's right. Let earthly barriers now be gone. Let flame and sinew be as one. Fire burn, power grow. Fire set the world aglow. Matchless strength now fuel the fire ever further, higher, higher, 
In the name of hex and shades, let my mortal image fade. Let all distance turn to dust. Let my will supply the thrusts. Let the rock become as air. Let the here become the there. All I'm saying is this. Stan Lee should have been the lyric writer for a prog rock band. Okay. All I'm saying is, A, you did kind of forget. He does do the spell casting in Doctor Strange. I do like the fact oh, that this is slightly different. Yeah. You know? This is slightly different, which is great. And B, please, please, Baxter Building listeners, I know you're out there. Please create a 19-minute EDM track with Graham saying that shit over it. Please. I Please. I don't have a lot of money, but I swear to God, I will pay $20, a $20 bounty. It just has to be a ridiculously overlong EDM thing and any effects that you can add so that Graham, like, warps and echoes as he says it. And, and with, uh, please, please. I, I want that so bad. Ask me to record an album of spoken word poetry. Oh, it would be it would I be like great. Even better. I like where you went even better. Yeah. Um, her spell works. She appears before the Watcher in uh, in Watcherville. Yes. Uh, on the moon and says, "Hey!" And <laughs> goes. <laughs> That's what she said, right? Yeah, pretty I'm much. Like, Say no more. I've been awaiting you. I know why you have come. I will tell you of the Overmind. But such knowledge will not enable the Fantastic Four to alter the course of events. For once you learn the secret of the Overmind, you will know why the universe is doomed. Yeah. I say that with some intonation, as if there's punctuation. There's not. No. No, and let's face it. Once again, you have one of those situations of the over. The Watcher shows up, has one cryptic phrase, disappears... And apparently is such a passive-aggressive dude that he's like, okay, now that you've shown up at my house, I'll tell you everything. But I couldn't tell it's you like, everything before. Like, it's like, why? It's like, uh, you know. It's like, you really want to know. Fine. Yeah. I'll okay. tell you. Okay. Okay. I have to say that final page also is such an attempt to do Kirby, you know? Uh, don't you uh -oh. think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And again, an attempt that, let's be perfectly honest false flat oh yeah oh just so much stuff again there's a lot of stuff that i just i just it's basima basima's pacing is just so very different anyway so yes the i think we should get on to what really is shockingly enough the good stuff uh i so what is hilarious about you saying that ff 115 uh the secret of the eternals yeah. Is the shockingly good stuff? I can see you say that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know exactly what you're referring to, and I have to tell you, 100% honestly, that the first half of this issue I have read like four times, and I still can remember nothing about it. It is true. It is true. I, it I is get that. It, the, the origin of the uh, of the, the Overminds is so arcane. <laughs> that my brain rejects it. Yeah. I'm not joking. I honestly have read this issue like four times because every single time I start reading it, I'm like, I think I stopped reading this after page three. I totally don't remember this stuff at all. Well, uh, how do I put it? Uh, I have to say that I agree with with you. In, so in you can do the recap of this one. Oh, man. Okay. Well, first off, everyone, it's called The Secret of the Eternals. Interestingly enough, it's not Jack Kirby's Eternals, but I always think that because, uh, you know, headcanon, you guys. The punctuation is back. 
Thank God. Thank so God. Instantly. I, I think definitely yeah. thank uh, Archie Goodwin, who takes over as writer for the series. Uh, yes. With this issue. Yeah. For that. He, uh, yeah, I, I wanted, but it as if the return of the good gumbo, is, as Alan Moore would have put, if nothing else, just having the punctuation come back, everything becomes a million times more readable. But Well, the, the thing that's not to make a big spoiler of things, but um, what makes this issue great for me is the the twist at the end, mm-hmm. which is great, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I yeah. love. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 there, so interestingly enough, you have Goodwin take it over. And part of uh, why I think that he is great is because this issue is not terrible. And I can see why Graham isn't completely bored of of it, but uh, to do a super quick recap, because that's kind of the way that I tend to roll and then I'll get into more details. The issue is essentially the watcher deciding to tell the FF the origin of the Overmind. And uh, the origin of the Overmind goes on an embarrassingly long period of time. And in a way, really so much more than is technically almost excusable. Because by the time we get out of the um, the story, the, the story of the Overmind's origin, we have barely any pages left and... Uh, and just enough time it's, for... It's 13 pages, Jeff. Yeah, it's 13, it's 13 pages of a 20-page comic. Exactly. And in the in the final six or seven, because we've got the page of lead into the origin, uh, you have Reed basically, and this is part of what I love, start talking just like Reed Richards, where he's like saying that there's only one person who's going to be able to stop the Overmind. And of course, it's him. It will take a superior intellect to challenge the Overmind, and in this group, only one person has that qualification, myself. There's too much at stake to be hampered by you, three as I usually am. This time, Mr. Fantastic fights alone. And hilariously enough, everyone says, Reed, we've never heard you talk this way. When the fact is, half the time when Reed gets fed up and Stan Lee's writing him, that's exactly the way he talks. Nonetheless, there is a delightful moment where uh, Ben, at the end of a page, says, Curly, referring to Reed, if there, was, if there was an overmind, I might just think he'd put the kibosh on, on you. And I love how he, uh, in that panel, they drop that last word, the you, into a whisper. And the, the, the feature of basically Ben realizing that Reed is... Uh, under the control of the Overmind is a great little panel. And again, here comes that sort of paranoia that Lee was trying to push at you, but never could quite get in um, Mr. Fantastic attacks the rest of the FF. Admittedly, some of his methods, which include tickling Ben are maybe not the most dramatic. ever. I love that. I love that. He defeats Ben by tickling him. Yeah. This is, let's not forget the guy whose skin was so tough that you couldn't hear his heartbeat before but yeah. tickling hearts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have uh, Reed just kind of shoving everyone aside, giving a look of pure evil, which I kind of do appreciate because as we, we will see that look several times more before we're finished with uh, our, our charge for the podcast. Uh, Reed, I think, suppose it's meaningful, ends up jumping inside a machine, um, 
a mini reactor, which Johnny turns on to try and get Reed to come out. Uh, and Reed does come out a different way, slides under a door and escapes and into the building and away. And essentially every, the three, the fantastic, the rest of the fantastic four are like, who knows how much else we've lost for if the overmind can so easily gain control over Reed, how do we stand against him? How does the world? And in that sort of lovely little dramatic next page splash, you see uh, the overmind head in the sky, sort of Gil Kane style laughing while the evil stretchy Reed Richards stretches against a admittedly somewhat generic Manhattan skyline. And uh, it's, you know, again, to me, if the devil is in the details, that's where Archie Goodwin's presence to me is most felt. Because this this issue in particular, as part of the big Overmind epic, which finally explains who the Overmind is, goes to at such great lengths, as Graham admitted, it, it wiped, completely wipes out of his memory, um, would be kind of a static mess except for those last six pages. Yeah, that that's totally it for me the, I, the origins of the Eternals um, here's the thing I genuinely do not remember the details of the origins of the Eternals but as you discover with the very next issue it's because it's meaningless no I actually I, no, I, no I, I really no. think it has nothing to do with the, the resolution of the story wrong 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 <laughs> okay, wrong this is why you're wrong and this is why that's why Archie Goodwin's good we'll get to it for example <laughs> We have situations I here. I agree with you, and you're disagreeing with me. I no, just, I refuse, Graham. Despite, no. Despite that, the yes. last few pages with Reed going bad are so good. Yeah. They're so, so good. Okay, but this is my thing. Again, because the devil's in details. Like I said, you think the rest of it's a dog except for the last six pages. Those last six pages are good. But I have to say... I like the rest of this as well because of little bits and pieces. Some of them, like there's page two where for whatever reason, um, somebody miscolors the watcher's eyes, making him look like an omnipotent raccoon, which is really funny. But I do love the fact. purple eyes when he's telling a story. What do you want? Yeah, there you go. The purple eyes of the storytelling watcher. Uh, He, he, at one point, they literally have to beg and plead for him, him to tell them the origin. As opposed to all this weird, like, I'm only going to say this phrase. Oh, now that you've shown up at the house, I'll show you everything. Uh, admittedly, it's a bit of a rollback from the end of the last issue. But the Watcher does say, you know, it, Sue says, please, anything you tell us might help. Allow us a chance. And the Watcher says, yes, a chance. Mankind must have that. Now, part of what I like about Goodwin is he's able to write stuff in... Stanley Ease, which is an important part for everyone who follows in Marvel from this for the next eight to ten years, is they really have to be able to write in Stanley's voice. Unlike a lot of dudes who just really get the histrionics, um, Goodwin actually brings a little bit of uh, I, I don't want to say nuance because it may not be the right term, but there's a there's a quality to his stuff. Like for example. On page five, so for people who are hearing this podcast, hoping they'll understand the origin of the Overmind and the Eternals, uh, essentially... Yes, why Why don't you explain it for people like me who don't know what it is? Yeah, so... No, no, why, why don't you summarize it? 
I I I will I will try. I appreciate I appreciate the somewhat like no go ahead. I double dare you. Exactly. I will try. Jeff, go. No, why don't you why don't you tell me that it makes sense? On you go, sure, go. Uh, I okay. Well I will get to the the ending well, I'll tell go. you where the wraps go, up. Jeff. Oh man, you are such a bastard. So <laughs> the Eternals. The Eternals are a hu- enormous warlike race that have conquered death, that can live forever, and more or less conquer the rest of the uh, of the galaxy that they're in you very much get the idea they refer to it as a galaxy but one of the things that i do like about this is how well it sort of ties into some of the stuff that al ewing is doing over in the ultimates where he talks about iso 8 suggesting that the universe post-secret wars has reformed but has gone through that stage several times. So it's very easy to slot the Eternals in the Overmind as existing in an earlier incarnation of the Marvel Universe, that this is a universe before, where the Eternals have are a race that are a super race of warriors and scientists that have conquered death and are basically just into the conquering. Uh, one of the things that I love, again, that is sort of an Archie Goodwin phrase that I really liked is he's, he says, the Eternals wrote their names across the stars in the flames of dying worlds. Admittedly purple, but so nice. I really do like it. Yeah, no, purple, purple, but good. I mean, yeah, that, purple, good. good. Exactly. So we see who is to be the the actual Overmind, which is their gladiatorial champion, Grom, who uh, sits around, and this really does seem like such Stanley imagery, uh, sits around with like serving wenches, like fawning over him while he more or less feeds grape and grapes into their hair and then proceeds I, wait, to I have to ask when you say Stanley imagery you mean John Bashima right no actually this is the thing that's sad you, is you this... think this is what Stan does for his, his... yeah that's what he does basis. in his spare time well <laughs> I'm basically basing this admittedly not the most scientific of approaches but did you ever see the femizons as presented yeah. in I think the superhero women collection of Stan's origin of Marvel Comics series no. It, oh wait, maybe I did. That's it, that's where um, I want to say Titania, but I don't think that's her name. Yeah, it might be, might not be. But essentially, Stan teams up with John Romita for a mature series that he tries to pitch that really doesn't go anywhere. It's done in black and white, probably for a black and white oh, mag. Then, then yeah, I don't know what this is at all, but it and, sounds fascinating. <laughs> and by fascinating, I mean. Horribly embarrassing for everyone involved. Exactly. The fe- the planet of the Femazons, it's essentially the same sort of setting as we get here. It's another galaxy. It is space barbarians, except the twist is, is that the Femazons are these brutal warrior women who rule it all over the helpless fawning men. And I think there's some, it's very much sort of the world that, Titania and especially Thundra would emerge from. Thundra was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So very much that sort of concept. And it's a lot of people like eating grapes against a starry sky while spaceships fly around. And they basically talk about like their savage warlike race, but their hearts are stirred by something they've never known before. Something they can only call love kind of thing the the first couple of the pages with grom basically like i said like throwing grapes on top of his serving wench's head makes me think like okay this is maybe where stan it seems to be an I, idea it where totally stan has conan to me 
Well, because I, right, because I think this is very much Stan being again. I feel like Stan's like, oh, barbarians are big. I can do barbarians. I understand the appeal of barbarians. It's all lounging about and eating grapes. While I mean, it's the same thing that he does with Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror is time barbarian instead of space barbarian, and it's the same concept. He's sitting there eating his robo grapes while lorning over this <laughs> lost thing that he calls love. You know, because of you know, gl- Glamora, gl- Glamora, like what? What's that woman's name? It's like the most boring name ever. Kang's girlfriend. Do you remember? Oh, it's not. It's not Glamora. Uh, hang on, Kang. I'm I'm looking it up. Come on, Mister Internet. It's like Princess Glam. Rom- I want to say Ramona, but it's not Ramona. Oh, maybe it is Ramona. Maybe it's Glamona. That that sounds stupid. Uh, but... <laughs> I made the mistake of looking up the way Ravona. <laughs> Ravona. Wow. Okay. I so I think looking up the Wikipedia entry for Kang and oh, that's man. a terrible idea. Seriously, if you can make it to the end of that page, like the internet should give you a reward. It's like you click that, you answer like six questions, and someone mails you something like kind of like back when you get a no prize, because seriously, that wiki page has got to be fucked up. Anyway, the the Eternals are this super race of cold ass bastards, and they come across the planet Gigantus. Gigantus is a super mega planet that is so incredibly immense. Is it gigantic? Jeff? Yeah, it it is. I know, right? You would never think that with the name. I have to admit, Gigantus is not the best name. There's a later. St- point where I think actually in this origin, someone actually uses the interstellar beamer and I'm like, oh, oh Archie, no. But, you know, he's got Archie kind of a point. good idea. Okay, he's I, got... I had to write this at a weekend. Yeah, uh, no, I don't, I think there's just parts where, because seriously, like I said, that whole like the Eternals wrote their names across the stars is like, ah, oh, I love it. You know, there's there's other stuff that where is it? I think there's the another phrase. That unending surface of Gigantus, a great and noble people thrived, a people gentle and wise, embracers and lovers of life, and dedicated to the cause of peace. Now, but peace is a fragile thing, and even from afar, easily shattered. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you're seeing stuff in that sort of Stanley bombast, but just the fact that you read that, I feel like Archie Goodwin must have like written his scripts and read them aloud. Every once in a while, something bad like Interstellar Beamer rings by, but there's a full page splash in the next issue that I find crazily exciting. Uh, So gigantic. So we have in the universe before our universe, you've got the absolute top dog race, the Eternals, who have never lost. And you have Gigantus, which is a planet that is essentially so enormous, they continue to invade and invade and invade. And they just can't conquer the goddamn planet because there's too many people and it's too goddamn big. And the Eternals are more or less running themselves to ruin like they're winning, but they are such a small force. So essentially what they end up doing is they destroy the planet Gigantus. They set off these enormous reaction bombs 
the people of Gigantis are able to escape. The planet is blown to smithereens, admittedly not the best science fiction in the world, that it's so goddamn big that it's larger than suns and galaxies and etc. The pieces of the planet get sucked into essentially a wormhole, spit out the other side, and become stars and moons and planets. So this is the... Goodwin, in trying to up the stakes, is... Here is a battle before the existence of the universe, which is so big that the destruction of one of the planets more or less creates our universe and our galaxy as we know it. So Gigantis, the people of Gigantis are like, we've lost our planet. We come back. We're going to fuck up the Eternals planet. The Eternals are like, oh, shit. Well, now it's time for the final project where essentially the overmind is the Ubermensch. He is Superman, except he is a space barbarian who's never lost a battle. And then he is jammed full of the brain powers, memory and energy of the billion of people that, uh, the billion immortals that existed on his planet. Then he gets fired into space in the said interstellar beamer. Um, and you actually even get, cause one of the things that drove me crazy is this whole, like the prophecy. Everyone talks about the prophecy of from beyond the stars shall come the overmind and he shall crush the universe. Stanley's just thrown that in there to make it interesting. I feel <coughs> here, at least we see Archie Goodwin say like, Oh, this is what someone says when they basically shoot the overmind in there. Now, who records that? I don't know. So the rest of the Eternals get destroyed. The Watcher records it. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Well, and then apparently encounters uh, encounters the Overmind and explains it to him. So the Overmind hides out for a, a long time in a state of suspended animation as his powers sort of gestate with a protective spore growing and disguising his still form from chance discovery. And uh, more or less, he wakes up and is ready to kick shit. And that's where he but comes that, from. And next issue, I'll explain why that's, some of that's important. Okay, but that, that, that's kind of what I love. So you, have, you really do have 13 pages of that story, which, yes. given the length of time it took you to tell that story, there's a lot there. Yeah, right. right. But it doesn't even get to the interesting part, which is, why is he trying to destroy Earth? Right. Because instead, the Watcher goes, I could tell you more mortals of the awesome instant he awoken of the mental might to transform the latent spore into a spacecraft. But it is enough to know that he's come to your world and the tomb has begun. Well, no, 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 no. Love is like, there's 13 pages, but I'm not actually going to tell you his motivation at all. Well, I'm but... going to tell you a fairy tale. And then I'm going to be like, oh, but uh, we're moving on. No, no, no. But I think that's one of the things that actually works about this thing is, is that this fairy tale, you're like, okay, it's this big story about his people, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize he, he is those people. He's all those people that you've seen, not just Grom, but everyone else. So the story of the culture that seems like a fairy tale, that is his motivation. Like the fact that he comes from this warlike conquering race, admittedly, that's the generic, that's just the generic Marvel reason, villain reason when you don't really feel like giving someone something. It's just that Goodwin has put the additional spin on it of, well, or Lee and Goodwin have put the additional spin on it of the, he is the embodiment of that. If you see it as a way in which 
in theory, Galactus, the Watchers, Silver Surfer, they're all sort of survivors of their race and are supposed to um, have been transformed into this other thing. And then I, I, in some way, they're all a cautionary tale. Exactly, exactly. And the Overmind is basically the brutal version of that without the cautionary part of like, here you see it, but the twist is is that what he is isn't just a lost fragment of some majestic race. He is the embodiment of an entire race of savage motherfuckers of which he is able to draw upon the power of all of them. And so when we get to the alien, the ally, and Armageddon, which is a, a jam-packed issue that really is... Uh, I, I couldn't understand how it worked until I until I slowly realized like it's actually a double-sized issue. It is like 34 yeah. pages. Um, yeah. there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that the groundwork is laid in that issue uh, for the, 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 the denouement. But also one of the things that is great is, is when you see, it, for me, when there's the battle between the FF and the Overmind in, the, in, in issue 115, it's finally grounded in a sense of, oh, I understand what this guy can do. I can even understand how he's doing it in a way that I, before it was just, oh, he's a super bad guy because we say he's a super bad guy. Once you actually understand, you even get those really wonderful moments like uh, like that moment on page 12 of issue 115 where you think the FF are winning and then the and then the overmind turns around and kicks their ass in a full page spread that's you know for a book that used to be all about the full page spread has had very very few of them um and it's it's to me it's incredibly satisfying you know what's interesting is i i did not have nearly as positive reaction to 115 as you did i i really really mm -hmm. have like do think that the flashback is 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 not filler, but but leaves me totally cold. I really appreciate the the Reed heel turn at the end, but right. the 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 origin story really doesn't work for me. And mm -hmm. especially because what I want to see is so why is he on Earth and why is, and why is he doing what he's doing? Like mm -hmm. why is he mind controlling people? To turn against the Fantastic Four? Like that's I want to see his motivation for what he's literally currently doing. Mm -hmm. And it 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 totally skips that i mean you literally get the watch being like oh out of time sorry you guys maybe that's <laughs> time. but um but 116 really does work for me mm -hmm. really really strongly the reason for that is the dr doom stuff sorry when i said 115 i meant 116, meant 116. i got my issue yeah. screwed up yeah so the big the big supersized finale issue of 116 is great for me and the dr doom stuff the Overmind stuff, the fact that there's like, even just in the few, first few pages where they come up with a way to track Reed that actually isn't complete pseudoscience pulled out of their yeah, ass it's, bullshit. It's, it's not crazy Holcomb. There's, yeah. there's actually a lot to like about, um, about 116. Yeah. In large part for me, mm -hmm. because Goodwin does what Stan never could. Which is he allows the Fantastic Four to be capable without Reed. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Goodwin takes Reed off the table, mm -hmm. and and you know technically, if you believe the credit box, Stan plotted the previous issue, which had Reed going bad, 
Mm-hmm. But I quite believe that if Stan had plotted this issue, that would have been revealed to be a fake out very quickly, and Reeds would have gotten messages to the team telling them how they can do his bidding and beat the Overmind. Whereas what Archie has is Reeds is trying to fight the control of the Overmind, but loses. And, yeah. and loses to the point where he actually just goes after Sue repeatedly and tries to kill her. Yeah, yeah. But Sue, Johnny, and Ben not only go up against the Overmind and Reed, but realize that they're getting their asses kicked and swallow, Sue swallows her pride and goes to Dr. Doom. Yes. And says, we need your help. This is much bigger than than us. Yeah. Like, the world is going to end if you do not help us. And this, we have previously seen, I mean, the last time we had a really good Dr. Doom story, mm-hmm. it had the the... You know, Doom would rather kill his his minion mm-hmm. than kill Fantastic Four because the minion does not appreciate beauty. Yes, and so you've had the introduction of like Doom has an honor system, mm-hmm. uh, and this this story is very much plays on that. Oh, absolutely! At Doom, one point, she Doom, says, "Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Doom do- is just like we have to we have to take care of this." Yeah, I don't like you, but I I want the world. Well, she even says she actually negs him on a more personal level. She says the doc cuz at first she's like it's the world and he's like, "Eh, what do I care?" You know, and she says the Doctor Doom I remember might be ruthless and cold, but he had honor and nobility too. Instead, I encounter posturing and pettiness or perhaps just a man a little afraid. And again, there's a lilt there to that that I appreciate. And I do, I always love it when, when Dr. Doom gets negged into helping someone because he's literally like, he, and he says something that, that's a little more nuanced than you get from other scenarios in this where he's like, Dr. Doom, you know, he's like, I may be ruled by my demons, but they are not the demons of pettiness and fear. And I, and I do love that. I do love the, the, that there's something that is a little closer to a self-aware Dr. Doom. No, seriously, for me, honestly, Graham, if you took this issue and you cut it into, you know, two oversized issues and you told it the way that Jack Kirby would tell it with a lot more full page splashes. So that like, cause that scene where Sue is shown an image by Agatha Harkness, she's basically tries to search for all the superheroes it's a surprising number of pages where she's trying to recruit other superheroes and she just can't find anyone. And Agatha Harkness reveals to her in a vision, like you've got to go and see Dr. Doom. If I think I really feel if Kirby had done that, you wouldn't have seen who he, she would have shown him. And then w- you would have gotten a full page reveal of Dr. Doom. Cause what happens is she goes into the Latvian embassy, you know what's happening. And then when you see Dr. Doom, she breaks in essentially. Yeah, she she does. She leaps in through the front window. Doctor Doom's just hanging out, smoking a cigarette through a cigarette holder, which I love. But it's also very it's it so much of the scenes, even for a thirty page four four page comic, are so constricted and tight. But if you could have everything that happens in this issue happen, but also paced in a way that we were used to with Kirby, it would come off like an amazing story. Because, like you said, it is the FF without Reed. And that's supposed to be like kind of their biggest challenge yet against all odds. It's Reed and a guy who's super unbeatable and, you know, they end up getting Dr. Doom involved. You've got a guy who's like supposed to be like Galactus, but he's not afraid to punch people. You know, it's all supposed to be super big. And I'm not saying Basima's art, you know, Basima does some wonderful little dramatic story bits, particularly with the stuff with Reed 
uh, and Sue, or even that full-page splash where the Overmind fucks people up. But overall, it's so busily jammed into, it's you know, very cramped. It's super when you cramped. get when you get the Overmind going up against Doom. Yeah, it's it's really claustrophobic. Yeah, and it shouldn't be because it yeah. should feel massive. Yes, exactly, exactly. It it is a big big battle, and the closest you really get to even sort of acknowledging that once Doom's involved is there's uh, page 26 isn't a full page spread, but it's a three panel page that for Basima, you know, that's like ridiculously roomy. And the rest of the time, it just is jamming up against uh, a three, basically a three by two grid in a lot of it. Um, so, so yes. So I really do want to talk about like, so before Sue goes off and recruits Dr. Doom, which is a great moment. There's actually the moment where like, like I said, it almost seems like they're winning. Like they're the, the fantastic three have managed to like reads knocked out. They're attacking the overmind on all fronts and the full page spread where he's like grabs the torch by the head, completely slams the thing down to the ground. Uh, I just, I, again, he's like, until the earth trembles, until the heavens quake, until the stars themselves fall down in fear of overmind. That, again, there's some really good overblown rhetoric coming out of Archie Goodwin's pen here. And the the only real, if this thing had been told at the length it deserves, like at the pacing that it deserves, I think it really could have been what they were trying to do, which is try and do an FF epic that, that touches at the levels of what Kirby and Lee did, you know, in their heyday, despite the fact. Yeah. It's very strange that there is, that it's, it's finished off so quickly, I guess. Yeah. It feels like there's another issues worth of story in here. Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely. But because they just decided to jam it in, I think maybe because they just, I think because honestly it had gone on for so long at that point anyway that the, they were like yeah, and also they had their they had thirty four pages I think they were like we can do this yeah and they to do. be fair they do it's a very good issue it's yeah. it's for my money the strongest issue since Kirby's gone and yes really the strongest issue since before Kirby went yes Kirby's last few issues weren't good I this is this is a really really strong issue yeah I mean and in Just, terms despite of... the fact that the yeah. actual resolution of the plot is just terrible. Well, okay, so this is one of those things that is interesting because I like uh, I know why you think it's not terrible. Sure. I know why you think that it pays off the origin. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of doesn't. <laughs> well, okay. So there's there 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 are a few things here that I should really say that I, one of the things that is super super different about FF116 uh and that show that even as I'm like, oh, this could have been bigger and better than what Lee and Kirby were trying for at its most cosmic, is it leverages the strength of the Marvel Universe in a way that was literally unimaginable (laughs) under the Lee and Kirby run, because Kirby would never have done anything like this. It's quite possible that Kirby would have done conceded to do a story where Dr. Doom teams up with the rest of the FF. And one of the things that's great about it is 
if you're a longtime reader, it's great seeing Goodwin does a really good Doctor Doom and captures his personality in a very short period of time, which is all the time that he has. But if you're not a regular, if you're not already a Marvel initiate, like if you just pick this issue up cold, it's nine kinds of mess. Because not only you're not understanding who the Overmind is and you would have to get the back issues, but both Doctor Doom and the appearance of the Stranger have no weight unless you're familiar with those characters. Well, which is, is my problem. I have, yeah. like I know the Stranger exists. I'm mm-hmm. sure I've read other comics with the Stranger. Mm-hmm. But for the purposes of this story, you have this unbeatable character who, for the last four issues, has been unbeatable, has mind-controlled the leader of the team. Yeah. And then in the closing pages of the story, this random dude shows up and he's like, surprise, I'm just as powerful as you. Ha ha, Shazam, it's over. Yeah. And, and that's that's amazingly unsatisfying. Okay. Me. Like, just... Stunningly so. But, and if it wasn't for the fact that I love the Doctor Doom stuff mm-hmm. so much, and I love the Fantastic Four without Reach Reed stuff so much, and mm-hmm. for that matter, I even love Reed being insane and attacking yes. Sue. Yeah. Oh. Well, see, that's one of the things but that like, I all of that stuff is great, but the actual getting rid of the Overmind is such a. We've got to get this guy off the, the stage somehow. See, uh, sure, mm. this guy, he's. Just like the overmines all the, the like all the minds of, of of Eternia or whatever the fuck his planet's called, right. then then this other guy, he's he's all the minds of, of Gigantus. Okay, done. And it seems like such a cheat to me. It just feels amazingly unearned, even with the origin the issue before. Okay. Graham, I have two words for you. Ultimate <laughs> nullifier. You know what I mean? Like I on the one hand I because I love, we love, look at the thing that is the amazingness of Kirby's Galactus story. It is, uh, uh, you get the, you get the quest that Johnny does. Like the cosmic strangeness of it is overwhelming and awesome. But as the story goes, not, it's I, an even bigger cheat. It's even no, more No, because I, I feel it's not. Because I feel the quest thing actually builds the importance of that object. I feel like to I feel like it for it's like the stranger does here, mm-hmm. it would be at one point Galactus would say, "Oh, Johnny, I need you to run an errand," and then you wouldn't see Johnny until he comes back with it. See, I feel I... actually have Johnny going right. through shit to get it. You're like, this is a big deal. Whereas he... the stranger literally shows up out of nowhere. Okay, at no point earlier in the story have they even hinted that the stranger exists. Or, for that matter, that the people from Gigantus have, like, a champion or survived or anything. But, okay, but see, my thing is, is I feel that the Gigantus and the Stranger, it's like, the Gigantus thing is a twist by having the Stranger who's been <coughs> this all-powerful, mysterious dude that's mostly been unexplained in other books come sure, and appear. in other books. Never okay. have been before. I but, never okay, have been but, but that's what I'm saying, Graham, is, is I feel that, that what you're seeing is the transition to what some of us think of as post-Kirby Marvel comics, where the heavy lifting isn't coming from Kirby's amazing ability to inspire awe, but from the wellspring of established continuity this is very this is very proto Inkelhart. 
it isn't it? This is because Engelhart knew to set up the stakes within the story he was telling. Uh, I, you know, I just he I, would he no key, but he would spend a stupid amount of time on flashbacks in order to put things in context. Oh yeah, not Trigger, like the previous issue where he did that, yeah. where there was a seventeen-page flashback. But it didn't tie into the stranger again. The stranger comes out of nowhere, and it's just like Shazam. And by the way, I'm the Gigantus guy. See. It, it's, it's no totally because uh, you can argue no. all you want. You are you are you. I wish you were right. I so wish you were right. But <laughs> the the fact is, you are just are not because it's it's literally the exact same sort of thing that Engelhart did. It's just because you don't care about the first part of the story and you don't care about the stranger. But if this had turned out to be like I don't know, fucking a mortis, and the first part had been the story of the Human Torch, you'd be like, I'm the original Human Torch. You'd be like, I'm down with it. It's the same I, thing. I, and on I, top I, of this, it also it's done this way. What's that? I genuinely disagree if it was done this way. I don't have anything against the idea. I don't have anything against what the mechanics are. Mm-hmm. I have. I, it's the execution I have the problem with. Well, I... I, I, I think the execution completely... They, I, as the saying goes, they don't make the landing. Okay. It, I... it's ju- it, just, it just does not work for me. Like, there's so much of a buy-in for... Okay, sure. It, if it wasn't the fact that the rest of this issue is so fucking strong, it's filled uh-huh. with so much good stuff, then I, I would be so much angrier. As it is, I was just like... Well, that that really just feels like we have to get this guy off the stage. How do we do it? Sure, we'll do this. No, I I, I agree. It, it I agree with you. But I, I feel like that's exactly the same problem they had with Galactus, and they figured out ways. They they tried to solve it in a in a different way, in a way that I thought was kind of great. I mean, you and again, all that stuff with like. Reed completely broken and about to kill Sue and managing to it's stop himself. And, Again. Yeah, like, there's good all stuff. That, all of that. There's so much good stuff in this issue. I appreciate, that, I even appreciate the fact my, that. Yeah. Here's my other reason why this is not the same as the Ultimate Nullifier. Oh, ultimate nullifier, nullifier actually required activity by the Fantastic Four themselves. And okay. Johnny had to go and get it, and Stranger literally appears from out of nowhere and takes care of everything. And for all we know, no one from the FF even sees it happen. Okay, but after the fact, and and I appreciate the fact that in this story, Johnny flies up Fury, flies off Furious, and is basically like, "There's no reason that we even had to engage in any of that. We were just pawns." in a game and there we did nothing. We accomplished nothing. And the watcher shows up and basically more or less says, you guys fought the overmind so much that he like drew the attention of the stranger where he wouldn't have done it otherwise. And it would have been too late. I appreciate the fact that, that Goodwin is, is looking at the story structure from Galactus, which again is inspiring but kind of broken and tries to figure out a way to improve it. And in a lot of ways, I feel that he does considering he's incredibly hampered by the fact that he doesn't have Jack Kirby and he's doing something that, that comes after the fact, but as a synthesis, as an attempt to do something, especially something that he inherited, you know, halfway through essentially, uh, I, I don't deny that it ends up in a very different bizarro place from where it started um but 
you know, I, I think all things considered, there's a lot of good stuff in this. Like you said, it's it's the best issue since Kirby left and before Kirby left, apart yeah, from, you I, know, I very actually, sentimental you... favorites that we have. You know? Yeah. When do you think? When do you think it's it's the best since? Like, this is the strongest issue since when? Well, okay. So this is one of the things that's really hard to quantify because because even though this seems like when I was talking about the FF cover band, like I said, this is this to me is very recognizable as a Marvel comic book of the seventies. This is this is the post Stan Marvel comic that is super tied into continuity that is reliant on that continuity that, that knows what it's do what's come before it and is trying to better it. So, I mean, there are things in Kirby's FF run, what it becomes like, I have a lot of fondness for the thing on uh, the robot gladiator planet and the stuff with him and Torgo, you know, I don't necessarily think that those are like, the best comics, but I have fondness for them. And as you pointed out, when we sure. were trying to put things together, like I feel like maybe the, the him storyline is sort of the last big hurrah of Kirby fully engaged with his ambitions and trying to tell something that is big and epic and personal at the same time before he sort of goes into, well, I'm kind of going through the motions and doing things that, please me, but don't maybe aren't challenging me as much. Um, this feels closer to, to the, the him storyline in terms of the scope and the ambition, but it's a very different thing because it is, it is the FF cover band. This is someone trying to craft an FF comic book. Like they're trying to beat or, or equal the FF comics of their prime. Whereas, you know, Kirby never really played that game, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think you're. I think you're very, very right. What I like about this storyline is it feels both classically FF, mm-hmm. but also trying to do something that the book didn't do before. Yes, uh, which is removing Reef from the equation and showing the other three to be as capable, if not more so. But you're right. It's it's. It's so aware of its history and of, mm-hmm. of what it's following mm-hmm. in a way that Lee and Kirby, they're probably aware, but they didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, well, we're the guys who did it, so we can do what we want. Whereas Bushema and, and Goodwin, I think, are very much like, okay, right. so these are the stories that the guy liked. These are the classics. Right. This is the framework we're working inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I feel like and you see that a lot. I think you see that in the next two issues, which again strike me as very. Um, it's a it's a very post FF take on the FF, where it's like it's someone who knows some tropes that that the where the FF go in, and he zigs instead of zags on it in a way that I think is great. Let's yeah. try and do seventeen and eighteen super quickly. Okay. Let's super super quickly. So seventeen and eighteen are essentially a two parter, which, if you're paying attention, Jeff and I are, is clearly a second thirty five page issue that has been cut into two shorter issues. It, it, the story is Johnny is has gone off and huff at the end of the Overmind storyline, is going looking for Crystal, and go, ends up in the Great Refuge where he finds out that Maximus has taken over again, which 
is surprisingly not really dealt with at all. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, Crystal isn't there. Yes. And the reason that Crystal is not there is that Crystal has hooked up, not intentionally, uh, with Diablo, who mm-hmm. has, for all intents and purposes, mind-wiped her and made her believe that she is, what would you say, her his patsy? Do you think that's fair? I, I think that, I, you know, his patsy or kind of his... Yeah, I guess his patsy is it. She's basically his... He sets her up as a false goddess to be able to manipulate the uh, people of a uh, Central American country to uh, motivate them to overthrow the dictator and more or less set Crystal slash Diablo up in power. Crystal is completely controlled by Diablo via his potions. So... Uh, um, so, so the, the, the two-parter, and I think it's worth putting both of them together as one story, because they're clearly constructed as one story. Johnny finds this out. He is told this by Agatha, by Agatha Harkness, who is becoming increasingly important to the, yes. the book. In yeah. a weirdly peripheral way, mm-hmm. she's essentially become a plot device to tell the characters what they need to know, now that Reed no longer knows everything. Yeah. Agatha is now the source of knowledge, which is kind of fascinating to me, because she has no agency beyond that. Right. She continually will hint that she knows more that, and that things are going on, mm-hmm. but essentially is there to be like, oh, you have a question. I cannot tell you the answer. Maybe the fates can. The sauce is over there. Um, <laughs> and so Johnny goes and confronts Crystal, only to find out that she does not remember him at all. Mm-hmm. which leads to a confrontation with Diablo and ultimately the Fantastic Four who show up midway through uh, 118. And they they defeat Diablo kind of by mistake. <laughs> like, they, the, the Fantastic Four doesn't really defeat Diablo as much as the, the president of Terra Verde. Yes. The, the Central American country. Um wrestles with Diablo and the the chemicals, they knock chemicals together and there's an explosion. Yeah. The end. And that gives Crystal her memory back. Right. So one of the yeah. things that I think is, is interesting here, and I think that's actually a great point. I had not considered Agatha Harkness as essentially exposition know-it-all that helps sort of level the playing ground with Reed and the rest, but it's a great it's a great observation. One of the things that I really like is is that we've seen the number of times where Johnny has flipped out and gone to the Great Refuge in search of crystal. It's happened twice before already, at least. Uh, and one of the things that I think is really funny with Goodwin is he, he has Johnny show up. The Inhumans uh, attack him. He attacks them back finds out that Maximus has taken over control of the refuge. And so at that point, you're like, oh, I totally know where this story is going. To Goodwin's credit, that he it's all a swerve. It's all like, but Crystal's not there, so Johnny doesn't give a shit, leaves, and actually flies all the way back to see Agatha Harkness so he can find out what really happened to Crystal. Now, I, there is a case to be made that, that this makes, once again... Johnny seem uh, either like a, a soci- love-stricken sociopath or a real teenager, depending on who you ask. And part of the things that's really a problem is is that Goodwin swerves from the story you expect to a different story that is uh, phenomenally underwhelming. Now, I feel that it is very <laughs> much... It's true. These are like These are two dull issues, right? 
Yeah. Well, I how do I put it? Yes, except for me, there's a there's a backup in one scene, which is fascinating. Yeah. So for me, it's very much the stuff is all uh, relatively boring, except the level of execution for me, I think, is so much higher than what we've seen before. I just like the fact, again, this is very proto Engelhardy. It's a half thrown away idea. But Diablo, who's an alchemist and is therefore obsessed with the idea of the four elements, having him essentially take control of Crystal, who is has elemental powers, which we have always been vaguely defined here, but we finally see as, yes, she can create flames. Yes, she can flood, you know, make a super water fist to punch someone. Yes, she can dig the holes. On the one hand, it is kind of reductive, but I think that that is very much... These two comics, again, are very much in the tone of what post-Stan Lee Marvel comics are trying to do, which is they're trying to be topical. They're trying to riff on what's been established and zig it in a different angle. And they're trying to make connections between the groundwork that's laid in a way that is supposed to be exciting and fertile. And I have to say Diablo, the villain is always been a dog, you know, ever since he got introduced as a, you know, kind of sub Dracula. Whereas you may remember the favorite part of Graham and I, and the entire issue is more or less the FF laughing at the end of the issue, Scooby-Doo style. So seeing him come back to take over a central American country is achingly painfully of the sort of Marvel of the time where it's like, it's, it looks liberal, but it's actually some very deeply conservative politics going on. Um, and you get an execution, like I said, that's great. Uh, we're not going to have time for it. But anyone who checks out these issues on Marvel Unlimited, the ridiculously cliched general, what was his name? Provolone? Rib- Rib- Ribera? What's it? Uh, Rubales? Robles. Robles. General Robles is a completely ridiculous, uninteresting villain. But if you see the dialogue, there's some dialogue where he's first introduced, where he says something like, Luis, you are a fine head of secret police. If only you didn't shout so. A bad thing, shouting. Shows lack of breeding, Luis. Without breeding, a man is no better than a peasant. And it goes on like this. And it's good. It's really good, again, for a one-note character. Like, Goodwin has a good sense of how to make those characters interesting. And on top of that, after you get all of the rest of this all said and done, for whatever reason, they jam in a... Right, because you pointed out it's supposed to be 34 pages. They jam in a five-page story. Or is it five or is it eight? I forget. With the thing... Hold on, I'm counting six. It's a, it's a, it's a six-page story featuring the thing that is... That takes place literally between two panels of the comic. Yeah. It, at one point in the main story, Lockjaw teleports the thing out of an explosion. Yeah. Instead of just saying that he teleported him to when we next see the thing, they, this backup is, no, he actually teleported him to an alternate Earth. Yeah. Where, actually, a, is it is it a number of alternate Earths? No, it's just one alternate it's Earth. It's just the one alternate Earth. Yeah. With lots of robot Reed Richards. Because on this alternate Earth, Reed Richards is the thing. No offense, but I have to say one of the ways that the story is constructed 
that you in a way you you think you think you think you could zillion miles away is the thing basically ends up in this alternate world, punches his way through three different Westworld scenarios, and I don't even know if Westworld is out, where essentially he's being attacked by different historical epochs in different reads. Yeah, and they're all versions of read, including an OK Corral where they're all read. The thing basically breaks through, finds a lab where he sees himself wearing a trench coat or what he thinks. And he's like, oh, I get it. The The story on this alternate Earth is instead of the Fantastic Four, there's the Fantastic Two. Ben and Reed go up onto into space without Ben and Johnny. They get shot full of cosmic radiation and uh, and things like, oh, I get you. The cosmic radiation turned you into the thing, but turned you super smart. And of course, the finale of the story is, is that we find out that that it is that it is in fact Reed Richards is been turned into the thing. The only reason why I mention it, Graham, is is that it's one of those weird like that's such a cliche. You're like, oh, of course, like we've seen Reed Richards sort of turned into various. But I sort of love the idea that Archie Goodwin has constructed a world where you think that that Ben Grimm has become a genius and therefore has filled the world with Reed Richards figures, you know, of the person he hates. And in the end, you find out that what he's, that the person he hates is really himself. That's, I love the fact that there's a six page story. And even if it's a hackneyed twist, Goodwin tries to go for that twist. You know, um, I, I also love the fact that page one is, is called what mad world and is literally set up like the first page of a comic from, you know, before oh, mad magazine was a comic. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was, I think that that was also just a lot of really, I'm like, this is clever. I, I, I you know? really like, yeah, I don't know why you're back up against me. I really like back up. It's the highlight of the issue for me. Yes. Also, it sets up um, continuity way in the future. Because I'm like, does it do they encounter the thing, thing, read? That's not, that's, I think that's got to be after my time, right? Does that come? Uh, no, no, it's, well, when is your time? Through issue 200? No, I want to say it's, it's within your time then. Okay, I'm not or, sure. Or, or if it is, then it's immediately after your time. Okay. It's, de- it's definitely before burn. Okay, if it's before Burn, there's a good chance it's in it. It's just, I also get confused because they go to Counter-Earth and there's a different version of Reed that they encounter as well. So, who knows? Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll come across lots more Reed Richards. We certainly will. Common people. But but as it is, we actually got through all eight issues, which at some point I didn't think we were going to. We kind of cheated with those last couple, but honestly, after the, the... opening Archie Goodwin storyline, which is really good. I think the the Crystal Two-Parter really reads like it was meant to be one issue and was split in two and suffers because of it. I don't think it's worth having two issues. Well, I I agree, It and which is why it ends in the half, but then you get the weird... For me, the, I feel... Uh, one of my great, great regrets is right after this, Roy Thomas comes on, you get some, I don't know how long he goes on, and then Jerry Conway comes back. Archie Goodwin, I would have been quite happier with a longer run on the FF because he's able to take away so much of the stuff that I don't like about the Fantastic Four comics up to that point and still keep a lot of the stuff that I do like. You yeah, know, it still feels like a Fantastic Four comic, but he's challenging the unspoken assumptions of of Lee. Yeah, yeah, he knows. Which is he, really, really refreshing. 
Yeah, and he's taking those things, he's spinning it. We, we, you know, in the previous uh, episode, we decried the idea that the FF is becoming the FF cover band. And one of the things that's great about Goodwin is in these issues, he is trying to do more than that. He's he's trying to, he's trying, he wants, he knows that that's his primary goal to fill, but he also is willing to spin things. And again, for me, someone, Goodwin, who I always knew was a very strong storyteller, I'm used to encountering outside of Marvel Comics or outside regular continuity. I hadn't read his Iron Man stuff. I had read, like, for example, he, you know, he's he's the guy who launches Luke Cage Hero for Hire. You know, he has a good sense of genre material uh, outside the superhero realm. So I didn't think he would be particularly interesting in a book as at the center of the Marvel Universe as the Fantastic Four. And in fact... He's really good. I think it would have been really interesting to see what else he could have gone on to do if he had had more time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for me... It's it's, it's really interesting. And it's very... He's the guy who immediately follows Lee. Yeah, exactly. Which is Which must have been, like, just a horrible, horrible challenge. But he does it great. I mean, a horrible challenge, I think, perception-wise, public perception-wise. For us, as you know, I wasn't so crazy about Lee up until that point. But all I'm saying is, is like, although Graham is like not crazy about this like two-parter, and I get it, it's pretty minor, I would still say, you know, if you read it before you read issues 102 through 104, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty. If they're substandard FF comics, they're pretty good substandard FF comics. I think that's a good way of ending this episode. Um, next time, Jeff, what issues are we going to be reading? Oh my goodness, Graham, you're going to leave that up to me. Well, I guess it's going to be like one nineteen through. Should we shoot for? I mean, you usually know when the storylines end. One twenty six, one twenty seven. I was just, I was just looking at one twenty six as well. Um. Yeah, let's do, let's leave it at one twenty six. I think that okay. actually does leave us in the middle of a cliffhanger again. But it's it's we we seem to be doing well with cliffhangers these days. That is true. That is certainly yeah. true. Yeah. So so okay. one nineteen through one twenty six is going Fabulous. to be uh, the next batch of issues. Um, this is where we say thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you very much, especially to our Patreon supporters, without whom Baxter Building would literally not exist. Um, Baxter Building is or was, I should say, one of the earliest Patreon um, levels to be reached by our supporters. And it's it still feels like we're getting away with something, Jeff. <laughs> it still does, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. So thank you very much, uh, the people who are supporting us on Patreon. And this is when I let Jeff do the official Patreon blurb. Oh, Jeff. yeah. I, I should say, yes, uh, on top of the... Uh, uh, in addition to the 115 patrons that we are so grateful to their support, we want to give special thanks to the crew over at the American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. This is also when I tell you that uh, we are available at waitwhatpodcasts.com where you'll find show notes for this episode and for every episode of Baxter Building and the regular Wait What podcast. We're on Wait What's pods.tumblr.com where there will inevitably be some um, screenshots of art from these issues for you guys to enjoy. Uh, and also, lots of random things. I've been posting a fair amount of just completely random things lately on the Tumblr. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, I dig them all, Graham. You've been, a, you've been on fire. 
Well, but don't forget, Jeff, we're recording this early. I might not be on fire when this episode comes out. Who can tell? Don't Alter- say alternate like take. You were on fire. <laughs> the pressure for me on fire for longer. Oh, God. Um, we're on Twitter at WaitWantPod. We're at WaitWantPodcast on Twitter. I completely forgot what we were called. Yeah. Um, Jeff is on Twitter solo at LazyBastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Um, Matt Terrell, who writes for the podcast, is at Matt underscore Terrell at M-A-T-T underscore T-E-R-L. Uh, and I think that might be it. Is that's there right. anything else that I need to say, Jeff? No, I think that's it. I think I, uh, I think I do my little tagline sign off where I tell everyone that thank you so much for uh, joining us. And we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building. <laughs>